calendar link. So there's only a certain amount of, sorry, one second. I'll recap that in a minute. Hello. <laughs> okay. I'm right in the middle of uh, recording the podcast with the Americans. And the Dutch. Oh, oh. Don't forget the Dutch. I, 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 yes, and the Dutch. <laughs> Sorry about that, chaps and ladies. What was I talking about? I will not edit out Malcolm's phone call, though. That <laughs> That's was, our cold open. Yeah, putting the broccoli on. All right, darling. You're muted, Doug. What? I am muted. <laughs> the platform, the posse. <laughs> and we are not live. <laughs> I think it's uh, time we move on. <laughs> to me. No, the other TJ. <laughs> oh, jeez. What'd you f- Okay, so it's time to take a look at our very, very... I had no idea where that was going. That was just lots of verys. And last but certainly not... Sorry, (laughs) call me with a biscuit in my mouth. Grant, what grabbed your attention? Oh, that cookie you're eating, for one. Physical stuff. (laughs) Sorry, I threw myself then. Let's get physical. Physical. Damn it, I was pulling that up on my phone, right? <laughs> right when you said that, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 64 of the Plastic Posse Podcast. That's for you, Doug. It's good to see all of my co-hosts again with me. Uh, We're excited to uh, discuss our favorite hobby, scale modeling, and uh, share that with you guys. So let's just kind of do our traditional around the horn. Let's start in the UK with our good friend, Jensen Taylor. Jensen, what have you been up to, my friend? Um, I have been working on a few different YouTube projects. Uh, That's all I'll say about that in a minute. Uh, Model-wise, not actually working on anything. I recently went into my local Warhammer shop, which we all know is kind of dangerous. I've kind of fallen in love with it. I, I, I really want to start getting into it. I always said I like the figures, but never wanted to play it. But I went in, the guy did a whole demo game for us and everything. I was just like, you know what, this is this is kind of fun. And I, what, I, what I think helped is the guy who worked there, he he really helped create the atmosphere, the story. He was really enthusiastic. He was a proper nerd. Um, and it, it, it was just fun. And I was just like, yeah, you know what? If playing the game can be as fun as this guy's making it, I really want to get into this. Um, so no, I've just not really been modeling. I've just been looking at a lot of Warhammer stuff um, and seeing where I can go with that. I know it's not the cheapest in the world, but then again, nothing in this hobby is. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, let's go to Doug. Doug, uh, how have you been and what have you been up to? I've been very well, thank you. I've been mostly working on a uh, my Tamiya 48 scale uh, Tiger Late. I've uh, got the paint on it. I put a few decals on it. I'm ready to start doing a little more chipping on it and some weathering. It's been a lot of fun. Just, man, um, when I became a tank guy, I don't know, but here I am. And and I've actually been um, filling out my my stash a little more. I'm definitely buying faster than I can build right now. 
that's okay. The rest of the year is going to have a lot of armor in that little Star Wars couple airplanes, but I've got plans and it's been, it's been a good time. JB, I think you've been pretty busy, but uh, how have you been and what's uh, what's been on your bench? Yeah, I have been busy. I received that Panzer IV-70A from you not too long ago and jumped right into it. So last weekend was able to slam it together, built it in a day. So I think I started at eight in the morning, ended at nine and I had breaks throughout the day, but I watched four James Bond films. So that's how long it takes to build the model. And then I was able to prime it last, uh, the end of last weekend, base coat one evening. And then last night was able to get the uh, tritonal scheme done with the Hinterhall dots on it. So came out a little bit better than I expected. I had some questions around the brown I was going to use. And for the colors, for those interested, I've posted a lot online, but I used Tamiya's LP line, the lacquer paint line, then with Mr. Coloring Level th- Leveling Thinner. And I used Dark Yellow 2, Dark Green 2, which is their new uh, Wehrmacht colors, uh, you know, World War II German colors. And then instead of the red brown two, which I find to be too mustardy, I actually used linoleum dectan and it looks like a rich brown, but after painting it and even giving a filter of the Dunkelgelb, it's turned into a a nice red brown color and uh, I'm pretty satisfied with it. So I will... I will likely paint the details tonight, such as the tools and spare road wheels and whatnot. And then I will also mask the Balkan Kreutz. One other thing I'll mention with this kit is it is the first kit Tamiya has included the Tetra Fire Extinguisher label. So a nice little detail that's often uh, neglected by manufacturers. So overall, absolutely fantastic kit. Super grateful that Tamiya let me... uh, let me take this one around the yard before uh, before it hits the mass market. And I'm super stoked. So I'll be sharing more pictures online. I posted the first picture on Patreon today that showed it pa- painted. By the time this episode drops, the full article should be on Patreon, which covers the construction, painting, and weathering. So stay tuned for that. It's uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Awesome. Well, it, uh, you know, saw those pictures today and obviously it's looking fantastic. You are the master of the Tritone camo and uh, you are certainly not disappointing. Let's go to our good friend in California, Grant. Uh, tell us how you've been and uh, what you've been up to. I'm doing good. Uh, a little tired. I, I left Sunday night last week, uh, flew to Seoul, South Korea for work. So lost 17 hours, left Wednesday or left Thursday morning, Seoul, South Korea time and arrived Wednesday night back in California. So I was, didn't sleep hardly at all because just messed my whole sleeping pattern up, but I did get some work done. Uh, I did get some figure painting done, uh, for some stuff I'm taking with me to Seattle. You know, other than that, I've been watching TJ's builds and everybody else's and JB's beautiful work on that Panzer for the 70. And it's just, and I'm starting to see the M8s come out on people are building those, the 148 scale M8s and just getting ready to get some free time here and uh, start building a little bit myself. Awesome. Well, I uh, will save uh, TJ, save the best for last, but I haven't been doing much as far as my bench. I've been doing a lot, um, you know, mostly uh, getting some podcasts done a little bit early. We we had some shows in the schedule and and all of that, but I'm still working on a lot of 3D printing stuff. I have a lot of new STLs and feeling pretty confident now, I'm starting to get a lot more uh, successes than failures. And that's been pretty great. Well, uh, let's uh, wrap things up with TJ. TJ, how have you been? And uh, what, what's been going on on your bench? Uh, I've been doing good. I can't complain, I suppose. Um, yeah, as far as the bench goes, I've been pretty busy, surprisingly. Uh, 
I don't know if the listeners know this, but this is only a week after we record our last one, that, but they won't hear this for a, quite a while. So hopefully by the time this comes out, some of the stuff I'm talking about will be done. I don't know if that's going to be the case or not, but yeah, I, uh, for some reason I got the idea that I wanted to build my, uh, HAFS goblin. Uh, it's a resin kit, a garage kit from Japan. A goblin is a machining Krieger thing. It's essentially a Jerry combined with an SAFS in some sort of unholy abomination. It, um, is rather bulbous. And it has a very distinct look that um, it's kind of hard to <laughs> kind of hard to miss. It's it's a it's a it's a really cool kit. Um, if if anyone's built Japanese garage resin kits, the casting is generally exquisite. This one is is no different. Um, there was a couple flaws I had to fix, and of course, after I primed and painted, I found more. But I'm probably just gonna leave those. It's I mean whatever. Yeah, I went with a desert pink and blue black camo with uh, kind of like a aqua blue flash color it's um i just put the decals on it today so that's been really fun i'm probably gonna start weathering it this weekend i want to finish it by the time i go to odo which is two weeks from this recording by the time this comes out that had not passed so hopefully it goes and then because that wasn't enough i also decided to get back on the machining career nutcracker which is a behemoth of a kit. It's in 35th scale. I might've talked about it before, but it is massive. It's so big. It's probably one of the biggest kits I have just plastic size wise. It's large. It was olive drab for a long, long time. I was kind of hemming and hawing with what to do while I was in North Carolina last week. I was working on the Taka Mark V British tank and there's an Estonian camouflage scheme in there. And it's kind of like a, almost like a splinter camo with a kind of, dark color a green and like a tan color so i was like i'm gonna do that so i did turned out pretty cool it was a lot of masking it wasn't fun and yeah and then i put a camo or a id band on it i glossed it and after i'm done with this i'm probably gonna slap some decals on it and i think i'm gonna whitewash it i've kind of been bouncing back and forth about that asking uh you know some of my friends and then i also (laughs) messaged brian krieger later or earlier this afternoon or this evening and showed him a picture of it and he's like oh that's a really cool camo scheme i'm like yeah i'm thinking about whitewashing it he's like yeah you should do like really warm whitewash i'm like man read my mind that's exactly what i wanted to do so that might have sealed the deal for that so yeah that's what i got going on sorry i kind of rambling on there for a minute no no that's that's uh great and uh that that nut rocker if if people haven't seen that yet check that out you can see that either on uh orion paintworks which is tj's facebook page or over on the plastic posse by the time this is out i'm sure i posted those pictures but um i take a lot of pictures as i build and paint just because i like to to kind of see where how it looks so the picture that you guys have all seen uh, i probably won't post because it was just the initial camo I, i like to take a picture with like everything done before like at the end of each step so with the camo panning and i had other stuff to do that i got to photograph and then so on and so forth but yeah excellent well i've got a couple things that i i wanted to go through before we get into our first uh, discussion topic so the first uh, one i wanted to talk about is the musaru cup update uh, john um i think uh, that one got moved aside for the yog panzer um any plans uh, for that and uh, what are you thinking as far as timeline yeah, so it did get moved to the side for the Ag Panzer, um, or I should say the Panzer 470A to be technically correct. But yes, it, it got moved to the side. Still a beautiful little kit. Uh, the full intent of making the deadline, I don't think it's going to be a problem. I still am going to go with the 
all natural metal. So I'll be doing LP11 on it with invasion stripes. And I actually bought some other shades of Tamiya, like gunmetal and steel yesterday from the hobby shop. So I will be getting back on that. I think this weekend I'll make some significant progress with it because I'll be at that stage with the 70A where I can do a step, need to let it sit for a few hours. And with those few hour breaks, I can get back to the Musaru. And hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, by the time this episode drops, it will be at least base coated and the beginning of decals because the interior is painted right now. One of the things, you know, don't tell anyone, I'm probably going to take it. uh, I'm probably not going to go to the full effort on the landing gear bay. So I've done some research. I've seen books, you know, Spencer Pollard, I'm going to use him, but you know, like we say, never use a model as a reference. Well, he paints all of his landing gear bays, uh, you know, zinc chromate. And I think I might do that. There's some call outs where you you tape off these super tight strips and I, I'm never going to see it. And I'm okay leaving it just like zinc chromate yellow or, or, you know, I'm probably wrong with the color, but you know, armor guy, give me a pass. But anyway, it's a gorgeous little kit. I think it's beautiful. The decals are super nice. What's, what's great is they give you two sets for the cockpit. And I, I think that's a, that's a really nice thing because they're super small, not delicate, really well done, um, but it's nice. So if I ever do another Mustang, I have a full set of interior placards, which really makes this kit sing. Uh, but bottom line, uh, it'll, I'll, I'll be back on it and then I'll be doing a unique base for it and hopefully getting it done well within the deadline and then sending pictures over to the folks up in Canada. Still disappointed we can't make the show. It's just unfortunate it fell on the same weekend as the local club here. Half, I feel like half of the modeling community will be at my house at some point or another during that weekend. Um, but <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, long story short, it's on the back burner, but it's lukewarm and it'll be uh, put up to full blast soon. Yeah, awesome. I also wanted to kind of bring up, you know, it, it just seems like every every week almost we're getting like these unbelievable announcements and these unbe- unbelievable new releases and everything. And wanted to highlight Gecko models. You know, we had a few weeks ago, they released a brand new 116th scale Panzer II. It's stunning. You know, Andy's got a video where he's building that. And then this last week, as of this recording, they, they come out with a brand new 135th scale, really esoteric subject, the Canadian Ram Mark II Kangaroo. And it isn't just a Canadian specific armor vehicle. It's got a full interior. Yeah, Jackson, I said full, full interior on that. You got the engine, everything. And man, it's just, I I don't, I don't know if there's any uh, new releases that you guys are really, really jazzed about, but Canadian armor modelers have to just be incredibly excited. But I mean, just about anything we could really ask for as modelers, you know, if we wait long enough, we're just, we're seeing not only kits of it, but incredible quality kits of it. Yeah, I, I I agree. The kid, that's a that's a nice one to have. I, I've waited for that one for a long time. Aren't they also releasing the the flamethrower version of the same vehicle? Yeah, I think at least, so. At least, I think yeah. so. So that's another great kit to add. Uh, you know, uh, for me, I'm I'm really really waiting for that Tamiya 148 M8 because just I love that little vehicle. It's just kind of a cool little short stubby nosed howitzer, which is I think that's really kind of cool. But you know, there's there's so much that's happening right now in the hobby, you know, with everything, you know, with everybody pushing out, you know, you got you know, Tamiya's pushing stuff out. You just had the show in, in, in Nuremberg where there's everything was dumping and everybody was trying to keep up with how much everybody was putting out. I mean the new Tamiya German figures 
It'll be great. You know, it, it's going to be nice. So uh, that's that's the one I'm waiting for is that M8. What about the rest of you guys? you have anything you're excited about? Yeah, the Ram. You already mentioned it. I can't, I mean, I don't think it's a secret that I'm a Sherman aficionado. And uh, the Ram is awesome. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool to see that in plastic. But I think the only way to get it now is is a resin conversion, which is what I understand very nice. But I mean, I'll take plastic ten times out of ten. Yeah, pretty much what's what's been said. Like there, there wasn't much really taking my attention, uh, and then that was announced, and it kind of goes back to what we said in like last episode. We're getting to a point now where companies aren't afraid of doing these more obscure, not heard of subjects. They'll they'll take the gamble, and most of the time, like this one, they're really well received. So as of recent, yeah, that that announcement is the one that caught my attention. I'm sure I'll end up with one. I mean, how fun would it have been to have one of those on the table at our group build last year? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for me, uh, I'm going to be cheeky and say the thing I'm looking forward to is actually sitting on my bench. So <laughs> sorry, Jensen, just just going to rub some salt in the wound on that one. But no, I was really excited for the uh, Panzer 470A and then it ended up here. So I'm I'm going to buy another one when it comes out, though. I mean, it, it's not necessarily a new announcement because it's been announced for a long time. And some of you have even seen one in person. They wouldn't let you, uh, Hobbs wouldn't let you go home with it. But the Tacom Fire Scout, I don't know when it's coming out. It's not soon enough. I, I want that little thing so bad. It's I don't out. know what, I don't know what it is about those, but I love them. <laughs> and, and I, and I want to build one and I think you get two in the box. <laughs> I want it so bad. Yeah. You get two of them. They're really, really nice. They're out now. I've got one actually. So I'll, I'll send you one. So. I didn't know they were, where did you get it from? Cause I've been looking. Uh, for them. I had, where, where did I get it from? I think I got it from get, HLK. HLK or Hobbit oh, Lincoln. well, that's why. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they're out in. They're not stateside yet. Yeah, yeah, not stateside yet. No, the Apaches just came out, though. I saw those on Andy's page today. Yeah. Those are sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be, getting, I, I'll be getting one of those, too. Oh, the longbow with the big radar dome on top? Oh, that's God, the, yes. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm going to get, too. <laughs> that's going to be a fun, fun kit. Yeah, the Firefox, is. that's a beautiful kit. It's it's 135th scale. You know, it's just a magical little, little cool little helicopter. Yeah, when we were over Hobbs's place, Jackson tried to get me to distract Hobbs, but I wanted to leave with my life, so I uh, I, I, I pleaded ignorance and uh, didn't didn't test the big man. But no, no, that's it. It is a really cool kit. And you're right, TJ. It does come with two, and there's two little different variants in it. And it's a rather large aircraft as well for 35th scale. So that's it's cool. And then before we uh, we kind of wrap this segment up, I just wanted to highlight that our special guest for this episode will be uh, Stefan and also Miranda from Models for Veterans in the Netherlands and Malcolm Childs from Models for Heroes. We sit down and we visit on how the three of them kind of met and how the the two respective um, organizations help people and, and how we can help them. And of course, that all leads into uh, the event that's coming up very, very soon from March 10th through the 12th that we'll be a part of. And uh, we'll talk about that in the, sh uh, the show section. In addition to our main interview with Scale Models for Veterans and also Models for Heroes, we also have a bonus interview with Zach Pease, one of our deputy marshals in the Outriders. And then uh, one last item of business. Um, this hobby is full of amazing people, and I'm just going to shout some of them out. Uh, we just talked about Malcolm, um, James Skiffins, Miranda, and Stefan, uh, what they do uh, for, for people with their organization. We love Models for Heroes. We love what they do. They're incredible. You know, it's their passion. And so tip of the hat to them. I want to give a shout out to the Sam Dwyer. 
Sam uh, came over to Nats last year in Omaha and uh, bought a copy of the King Tiger of his King Tiger book. And unfortunately, uh, the COVID got me and I wasn't able to ever get him to sign it. And he not only sent me a copy of his book, but he sent me his last copy signed. And uh, he's just a great friend. He's a great person. Everybody out there that's met him knows the kind of person that he is. And so thank you very much, Sam. I wanted uh, also to shout out Mr. Steve Munsell. Again, the nicest guy in this hobby. He sent uh, our good friend Doug a massive box of resin for some projects that Doug has and uh, threw in a couple of uh, bags of resin for my Tacom 116th scale Jeep and uh, also my Sherman. And, you know, that's that's just Steve. He just, you, you can't say enough nice about him. And then kind of the, the last thing today, I was, um, as, as of this recording, I set up kind of a model for hero donation for my birthday like you do on Facebook. Hadn't even had a chance to publicize it or anything else like that. And I just got all these people, you know, sending in donations to Models for Heroes. Um, It's a cause that uh, you guys have heard me just go on and on about. Uh, It's near and dear to all of our hearts. Man, just blew me out of the water, exceeded my goal exponentially before I even really get a chance to to go live with it, Um, including one of you fine gentlemen here, which I will uh, uh, leave uh, name to protect you, but um, just anyway, just unbelievable people in this hobby, always doing good and and, uh, just wanted uh, all of those people to know it's very much appreciated. All right. Well, let's uh, let's roll into our first discussion point. Uh, this is uh, something I've been thinking about a lot. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the first of the year we're thinking about sort of planning our year out and, and what we want to do. And so, you know, my question for my co-host is if there were just one thing that you could change about your modeling, what would it be? You could add one new skill. You could overcome one thing that you traditionally struggle with. Um, maybe become willing where you haven't been in the past to try a new genre or a new technique, any one specific thing. And so I'm going to start with, uh, with Grant on this one. Grant, if there's just one thing that you could change about your modeling, what would it be? Uh, first, if you didn't mention this, but time, I wish I had more time to do some stuff. That's, I think all of us is pretty much in the same boat. The time that I would like to do work on my stuff is for me, it's relaxing, like most of us. And it's just some time where I could turn off my brain and not worry about everything else. And uh, if I had more of that, I think it would be that would be my clue. Now, skills wise, I, I, I wish and I'm trying to find the nerve to build bigger or paint larger figures, 75 millimeter scale, more 116 scale, stuff like that. That's my that's what I want to do. But, you know, there's always that little hang up. I, I love painting smaller stuff and it's for some reason. But it, when I start going bigger a little bit, I get scared and I kind of tense up and back away from it a little bit. But if there's one thing I could do, I, that would be it. Retire. Awesome. Now that's really good. And I agree with that 100%. Let's move over to TJ. TJ, what would one thing uh, be that you could change about your modeling? Man, I, I was hoping you wouldn't go with me next. That's a that's a hard question. That's like a really hard question. I mean, other than just like be better, because I always want to do that. But um, I mean, I I guess if I had to pick one thing, I don't, I don't know if this is really a thing, but like I I have a habit of like missing stuff, no matter how hard I feel like I give everything a once over before I prime or even before I paint. Like I always miss something. Like always, 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 always. And most of the time, I just whatever. I just roll with it and don't care. But yeah, if I could not do that anymore. 
that'd be that would be great i don't know how to do that <laughs> or i would already be doing it but yeah I, I don't know that's that's the best i can come up with no i think that's that's really good uh jb what do you think uh, what would be one thing that uh, if you could change it you would I think I got to say, I will change. You know, one of the things I do want to do is start painting figures more. And I, and I really believe it's probably taking the TJ approach and concentrating a lot on it and neglecting the other things because uh, I can definitely see the evolution of his work. And I really admire the talent that I think he's, he's unlocked with the copious amounts of busts. And that's something I really want to get into is figure painting because all of these tanks need somebody to command them. And I also have some busts and 3D prints that I'd love to be able to paint in a semi-decent manner as well. So that's something I need to work on. I feel like it's always one of those new year, new year resolutions, uh, but you know, hopefully this year I can chip away at it. And then I'll be honest, I'll, I'll take two. One of the other things I want to do is get better at telling a story with a model. I do love myself a good tank on a plank, uh, but I, I I would like to take more of the Martin approach with a, dare I say, mini vignette figure and kind of just tell a little snapshot in time. Uh, I find it a little bit, it, it's, inter- it's more interesting and sometimes it's not. And, and maybe I'll just go on a little tangent here. I love the little scenes that are created, but I can also appreciate a very well done vehicle on a plank. And I look at it from a a very artistic perspective where the, the base serves as a frame and the tank is is unobscured and and just really crisp on it could be a white base that TJ has used before. It could be a black one. It could be, you know, a dark mahogany. But I, I do appreciate uh, the tank on a plank from time to time. I, I think if done very, if the vehicle, if the model is done extremely well, there's a nice nameplate. It, it, it is a very crisp, almost art gallery type of approach, and 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 I can appreciate that too. I, I know that's a tangent, but um, yeah, getting back, figuring uh, vignette vignette diorama style would be great yeah i i agree with that i think even a tank on a plank as you know we're kind of calling it is i think it's it just gives the presentation of the model just a lot more than just you know doing the tank itself and you know we've talked about with figures before a well-executed figure can can really elevate a build and really gives it a sense of scale so I think those are those are excellent, excellent ideas. Jensen, what, what do you think, my friend? I mean, if there was one thing that you could change or add to your repertoire, uh, what would it be? Uh, so difficult. Uh, so for me, it'd be something I'd change and I'd like to remove from my own psyche. This is going to sound like the absolute nonsense you'd say in a job interview, but I care too much. And I hate saying that. It sounds so stupid. But when, when I come to build models or do literally anything at the bench, I just... I find that I, I care too much about how it looks or how I'm building it or the finish or how I'm painting it. It's like kind of really missed the days where I was a beginner in the hobby because things were just so much innocent. I just enjoyed it for what it was. I didn't care if things were perfect or oh, there's a slight join line there or that's not aligned. I didn't care back then. And it's probably when I had the most fun. Now I find myself caring too much and it it's not that it removes the enjoyment out of it, but I worry so much about things kind of being right that I don't model enough because I'm too busy worrying. Again, it kind of sounds really stupid and a little bit self-righteous to say I worry so much about my own work, but it's it's just, it's a mental hiccup. Um, Obviously you can't help yourself thinking that way. Just like you can't, you can't control how you feel. That's just one of, one of the many things I would like to remove from, from my modeling thing, because it definitely holds me back from producing more work. 
So do you think when you say you care too much, do you think that you're you're just sort of going down the rabbit hole of, you know, uh, getting afraid to try something because you might mess it up? Or is it just uh, yeah. when, when, when something me and Zach have spoke about a lot, just we just at the minute uh, we have this thing where it's just we're just thinking about the project before we started the project. So we're we're kind of anticipating mistakes before they've even happened, which is just destroying the confidence of the build anyway, rather than just getting on with it and kind of probably enjoying the build for what it is. We're maybe looking for mistakes that aren't there because we want things to be right. It's just that textbook overthinker type mentality, which, you know, yeah, it's I'd, I'd like to get rid of it. I'd like to, <laughs> I would love to open just a model kit, do it and not care how, well, I say not care how it looks is a strong way of putting it, but just be happy with what I've produced. Well, that makes sense. And I think if you find the answer to that, you could definitely uh, make your fortune selling. Oh, I can make a few know, quid. <laughs> selling self-help books and everything like that. Doug, what do you, what do you think about this? I'm interested in, in your thoughts. What would, you know, one thing that you would uh, like to change or maybe add to your, to your skill set? Well, I would go along with what JB said. Figures, yes, that's that's a big thing. But the thing that I really want to move into, and I'm not even good at at a tank on a plank. Bases in me, I've never really done. Other than the the base basic bases that like a Star Wars kit comes with automatically, I don't do bases. I've started a couple of things that I'm going to keep working on that are are going to be bases for something, but I've never finished one. I don't really know what I'm doing um, other than the real basic. Uh, model train layout stuff that I tried 20 years ago. I'm I'm not a base guy, but I love them. As a matter of fact, I'm going to talk about one in a little while. And I just, that's something that I'd love to get good at where you can mix the different types of soils and plants and trees, shrubs, anything to, to make it looks like, look like it all belongs together. And at the same time, it, it just, it, it looks real. I mean, I've seen some guys do it and that's something I'd love to add. And it doesn't have to be a big diorama. As a matter of fact, I think I think a vignette size is, is probably perfect for what I like to do. I think that's a really good, really good skill to add. And, and I agree with you. I think it really uh, kind of takes your modeling to a different place. Um, I'd also like to get much better at that. I think for me, what I'm going to say is I'd like to be more efficient. TJ and uh, JB are especially are really, really good at being able to produce high quality uh, results in a short amount of time. And whether it's a slammer build or or whatever that you want to call it, but it's it's something that I really admire because you know I move at such a slow pace. I don't have a lot of time to begin with, and so if I was able to be more efficient when I was at the bench and get more accomplished, I think you know I could you know, obviously be more productive, but you'll know, get more projects moved through. And I, I think um, as we talked about in our last episode, I think when we're being productive and we're finishing projects, I think that, you know, makes us all better modelers. I think it's kind of cyclical, you know, the more you do, the better you get, the more confident you feel, you know, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, um, you know, that would be mine is trying to be more efficient, trying to find some speed, but maybe, you know, hopefully without cutting too many corners. Can, can I add one, Scott? Can I, can I do another one? Absolutely. I I, t- I would like to add to my repertoire, JB's three-tone camouflage skills. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When I come over to his house in, in March, I'm just going to like constantly like bump up against him and hopefully maybe some of that will just like, <laughs> you know, physically rub off on me. <laughs> pin, pin him up against the wall tell me the secret tell me the secret <laughs> can i add one as well 
Well, I, I mean, I no, think, no, you can't. You, you're not allowed. I think the one you're going to say is you're going to try and uh, work on your evasion skills so TJ doesn't get a hold of you and spin you around. But I, I would just love TJ's world class figure painting skills and his ungodly ability to blend acrylics, which only he can do. I don't know how he does it. I shall. You don't. You don't. Well, I mean, you can blend acrylics, but I don't. I don't wet blend. I, glaze. I don't know how you that, do that's, it. that's that's different. Glazing is different. That's, that's an I, it's not blending i don't get it don't get it it's not hard don't make sense all right Life if we're throwing extras out there i want to learn photography i want to be able to photog- photograph my models better than i do it's just a little bit of practice and it's a little bit of setup and i know i'm going to learn that too i truly believe anyone can learn that i did i don't have a background in photography i don't know crap about photography other than how my camera works if I got a different camera, I'd be screwed because I wouldn't know what to do. I'd have to relearn everything. You know, in our last episode, w- when we spoke with Jeremy Moore, uh, it was great. You know, he gave he gave John some photo tips and, uh, you know, he his feedback was very uh, non-scientific and very, very helpful. I really liked his approach on that. So, um, you know, maybe that might be something to go back and refer to. But, you know, uh, Grant and JB, do you guys want a second go around here? Well, I had two at the start, so I, I guess I did I did both of mine. You know, if I if I could change one thing, I, I'd change somebody on our team actually. I'd want Jensen to get a US citizenship. That's what I'd like to change. That would be I, good. I, I was worried about what I was going to say. <laughs> I want to change someone on our team. Jensen, you sacked. <laughs> that's right there's there's the door don't let it hit you on the way out have a nice life <laughs> oh yeah by the way uh, we're recording but yeah you're fired uh <laughs> just just a little fyi have you, have you ever tried involuntary redundancy <laughs> we're working on a new outsourcing program I, I i guess i got one more i'd like to build a plane i keep on talking about it every year I, I keep on talking about it, but I don't know. You know, it's one of those things. Just got to work on it. Do it. I think that I just get scared. And, you know, it's stupid. It's all stupid, but that's what I'm to do. No, it's not stupid. It's just, I mean, it's a hobby. It's supposed to be fun. And, you know, you have things that you prefer. And, you know, like people that put 500 pound tires on the tops of strikers, you have things you don't prefer. <laughs> well, let's, let's not get that argument. I'm still tri- <laughs> digging through the hate mail. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I think you're right. Right. It's just something I got to do and just, you know, do it, and, you know, get that, that right mentality and just push right through it. You know, it, it, it'll, it'll come. It'll, it'll always do. It always does. Yeah, you know, and that's, you know, a goal, I guess. So you just keep trying. Absolutely. Well, for all of you listening out there, uh, we'd love to get your input on this. Um, you know, when you're listening to this, just uh, post it in our uh, Plastic Posse uh, Facebook group or send us an email. But let us know if there were one thing that you could change about your modeling or one skill you could add, you know, what would that be? And uh, we'd love to take a look at that. All right. Well, let's take a quick break uh, and hear from one of our sponsors. And then we will come back on the other side with uh, Jensen. The Triple P is sponsored by Tankraft, mix of the highly realistic aftermarket 3D printed tank tracks in 135th scale. Tankraft Pro Tracks are as real as it gets. These are not just copies of previously produced model kit parts. These designs are based on real one-to-one scale tank track links that Tankraft has measured and photographed. These designs are then downsized to 135th scale, printed and then test fitted to major brand 135th armor kits. Having used these tracks, we can honestly say that these are the highest quality tracks that we've ever used. Super detailed, easy to assemble, with very fine, almost invisible layer lines. Cleanup is minimal and usually not even needed. 
So go on over to tankcraft.com right now. That's T-A-N-K-R-A-F-T.com and get yourself a set of Pro Tracks. While you're there, check out the other cool scale modeling tools that they sell. Your bench will thank you. And just a reminder, Posse fans can get 15% off their first order using the Posse 15 code at checkout. That's P-O-S-S-E 15 at checkout for your discount. Okay, so it's time to take a look at the Plastic Posse Facebook group. Uh, this is a group that's just growing exponentially with extremely talented modelers. And I think this is a section where we kind of want to highlight some of the amazing work that's being showed off in that group. So I'll take a start. I really want to highlight Christian Wolf's uh, vignette. This is just, it's just sublime. It's three Russian soldiers raising the Soviet flag over Berlin. It's just so well captured. It's small, but it's detailed. It creates an atmosphere. You can see how well it's been referenced from a real life image, as well as its accuracy to to the image. It's just beautifully modeled as well, though. The figures are painted well, the scenery, the flag, just everything about it. Me, Jackson and Zach tease uh, Christian a lot, but he's just such a good modeler, especially for his age. He's, he's, he's a young guy. He's, he's, he's like us three. He's just so good. Everything he touches is gold. So yeah, I'd, as soon as I saw it, I was like, yeah, I've, I've got to highlight this. It's a beautiful piece. Yeah, it seems like every time you see another one of his pieces on Facebook or social media, he just gets better all the time. You know, he kind of reminds me a little bit about Martin Drayton, you where, you know, every time you think, okay, he's 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 going to plateau and then he just takes it to another level. And you, you got to see his work, you and uh, and JB got to see his work in person at uh, Telford. We did. <laughs> and like many people, when you see it in person, it's like, this is damn good. It looks good on the internet, but in person, this is seriously impressive. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. I saw, you know, it's interesting. He he builds a lot of different genres. I, I focused and loved his American armor the most, actually, in person. I think he had an M16 half track, he had M4 105. So he, he had a really nice display with one of the club tables. And uh, again, super talented artist, younger modeler, which is great and willing to put himself out there and share his work. And I think he's a really great ambassador to community and and we could use more people like him. So Scott, what caught your eye on the group? As I was going through the the group in the past week, I noticed uh, David Brian Bridges has been working on a 135th scale Panther, and uh, he posted some interesting photos. He he's got the the hole in the basic tritone camouflage, but it's just been roughed in. There's been no weathering, but then he's starting to attack very very specific things on the model. It specifically the Pioneer tools and the uh, the Flamvernister um, exhausts on the on the rear hole in particular, and so you've got you know most of the model hasn't been touched as far as the weathering but these individual pieces he's just attacked and you know weathered and chipped and you know added added different layers to it and and it's really it's kind of a a little bit of a unique perspective to see a model kind of in this state and then it shows of course i mean david is a really really good modeler um but seeing you know kind of a an unweathered you know very very basic approach to the to the armor of the tank and then seeing you know a really detailed shovel or a really detailed exhaust is just really great and i can't wait for that you know detail to kind of spread uh, to the rest of the vehicle did any of you guys see that yeah i did uh it was uh it's it was pretty cool i mean it was i really like the exhaust like you said it did a great job you just you know it's so sublime that it just just jumps out it too yeah i thought it was really well done and scott i love it when you talk dirty 
<laughs> no, David's work speaks for itself. Awesome modeler. Great friend. It was really nice getting to see him down in Fort Benning and his Panther is no exception. So cannot wait to see it cross the finish line. And I believe he's coming to Texas. So we will be able to see it in person along with a lot of other listeners. Awesome. It's always good to see David and it'll be great to see uh, see what this thing looks like when he's completely done with it. What about you, John? What caught your eye? Oh, man, you know, Jensen, I hate to do this because I people are going to think I'm inherently biased to my friends. And maybe that's true because my friends are awesome. But I got to call out John Everett, you know, a neighbor right down the road. He posted his Penelope Pithecosaurus. It's a one-to-one scale dinosaur. It looks absolutely fantastic. It was posted right before we started recording. I've seen the progress of it at the local club meetings. Again, it's one-to-one scale, rotocast resin. He replaced the eyes with I think Link size resculpted the skin, you know, the skin texture around the eyes, textured all the joints. It's it's really beautiful. And and I think of the the Indiana Jones quote from the Last Crusade that belongs in a museum because it's really true. If you look at it, it looks real. He took some photographs out. I'm pretty sure in the field next to our neighborhood, and it, you could you could swear to God it's real. It's probably out there eating prairie dogs for crying out loud. Even though I think it was a vegetarian. <laughs> um, but that said, it's it's gorgeous, and I applaud John's work. It's uh, it's very inspiring. Growing up, I love dinosaurs, still do. But bottom line, John's John's dinosaur is great. I think the tones are awesome. It's it's better than Philip, dare I say, which was uh, a really big. It was it was a staple of the Vegas show, and I think this is only better. And I do hope one day, I know I know his kids have claimed a lot of them, but it could be in the Natural History Museum. It's that good. So I, I implore everyone to hop on over to the group and check it out. I'll also plug his website, Cold Basement Models. I've been in the basement. It's cold and it's very reflective of his workspace. So John's a great guy. And what would John ever do out? I, I will say that I, I totally agree with with that, how how awesome that little dinosaur is. Yeah, the eyes are beautiful. The skin tones are beautiful. That the, the variation in coloration that he has, the spikes on its back are a little different. Everything has its own place and nothing nothing doesn't match. It all looks like it, it looks real. And, and the eyes, I think, are taxidermy eyes that he uses. So they're glass that he replaces, he drills them out and replaces them that way. I believe that's what he, that's what he told me. So yeah. 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 I agree with that, Doug. I I just, he, he brings an authenticity to these dinosaur models that, I mean, just, he makes them real. I mean, you know, the, this is like, like uh, John said, you know, museum quality work, work that could be, you know, that you could see in a, you know, a, a documentary, like a T, you know, TV show or a movie or something. I mean, it's, it's that good. And John, he's a fun guy to be with and has great philosophies and everything, but, but he's also a really talented artist, you know, uh, making models. Uh, you know, we talk about it all the time, uh, painting a figure, making models of something that's a biological thing rather than a mechanical thing is hard and he just he takes these things and brings them to life and uh, it's stunning it's really really good yeah john's just great all around so tj what grabbed your attention on the page i wanted to go with uh matt mathis's uh tamia f16c it's awesome i'm a huge fan of f16 it's my favorite jet it has been since i was a little kid i've always wanted to do one and every time i see one that's so well done like this one it makes it's like push me closer and closer to actually doing that so that's why i picked it because if if it makes me want to go build it then you i that to me that's the highest 
compliment I think you can give someone for their model. And uh, Matt's a cool dude. He goes by his Brew Cutter models on Instagram as well. And uh, yeah, his F-16 is cool. It's an F-16, man. Like, it, it's hard to go wrong. They're they're so tight. I don't know what it is about them. It's, you know, like the Ferrari of American fighter jets, I think. But yeah, that's what I went with. Good good model, Matt. I, thanks for posting it in the group. Yeah, I'll echo that too. I thought it was really good. It was second on my list. And I, I'm with you, TJ. The, the F-16 is pretty sweet. I have one courtesy of Steve Baker, and I really want to build it. And, and Matt's is certainly is, is inspiring. And good to know his Instagram handle because I didn't put two and two together there. So nice. Doug, we'll grab your eye. I found Gunnar Baumers. Um, he did the, it was Tacom's M114A1E1. It was from a Reforger exercise in Germany, 1973 is what he says. But what I, I mean, and the kit, he did a beautiful job. Great paint, great weathering. Overall, it's fantastic. But this is what I thought of when I was thinking about what I want to add to my, my arsenal of modeling skills. This base, this diorama, just blows my cookies and I'll tell you what it is. There's a couple of pine trees in it and they're really nice, really nice. But the the grass that's kind of spotty around it, the pine needles underneath the trees are great. But but right in front of us, it's this 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 piece of armor is what looks like it's about a, a six foot drop in scale with a little dirty water at the bottom with rocks strewn in this in this uh broken earth face. There's roots sticking out. It's just so dang cool. Um, I just can't say enough good about this thing. I love it. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Just every piece of work that he does is just magnificent. Like, just can't disappoint the eye. It just always looks so nice. Yeah, Gunner's a great modeler. And I'm, I'm happy he's posting in the in the group because, fun fact, his Sherman is on the cover of AFE Modeler's M4 Sherman book. So the A1 that's crossing the bridge with foliage, that's oh, his. That's his. Wow. Yeah. I tell you what, the the, the, the diorama is great. The figure out of the driver's hatch, I think it's the driver's hatch. Uh, the old Verlinden looks like the old Verlinden figures. It's it painted. It looks so good. And the, the, the early 70s weird American camouflage that we had is just, he nails it. You know, and when you get like Rick Lauer and Ron Volstead say, yeah, you're doing pretty good. You know, that's, that's, you're doing, you're doing good work. So, you know, his work is fabulous. It's just, it's just every, you look at that diorama base and there's just so much to soak in. And every time you look at it, you find something else. I, I didn't even think about the roots that I, while you're talking about it, I went and looked at the picture and yeah, those roots are coming right through the side of the you know, little drop off there. It's perfect. It's great. Yeah. There's a lot going on in this thing and, and, and it's all, it all fits. It's not overwhelming either. And that's right. good. It's not, it's not like a thousand things in your face. And you just kind of get lost in it. It's just the subtleness of the whole thing. It's just the trees, the, the you know, the grass, like you said, the damage that the M114 did in the ground behind it, you know, as it drove up to this position. Like, it's a great choice. Yeah, that's a, that's another one. I have that kit. I've built it. It is not painted. I have the paints to paint it in the, the master camo, which is that, that's that scheme. It was um used by 7th Army in Germany in the 80s. It's like a offshoot of the Murdoch. Camo. It's it. I think it's the only place it was ever used. You know, it was never used operationally that I know of. But it's oh, I love that that camo so much. It's just because so different. And uh, that's another one, man. When he posted that, I was like, oh, I should go get mine out of the box and paint it because it's it's ready for paint. Um, I didn't, but uh, <laughs> I will hopefully soon. But yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, his work's top shelf. Last but certainly not least, Grant, <laughs> what grabbed your attention? I want to talk about real quick. Night Shift's new video came out. 
it'll be a couple of weeks since you, when you see this, but it was his uh, weathering of his Carl Martyr. And, and, and of course, his weathering techniques are fabulous. How he does everything is just great. And But if you, I, I listened to it twice today as I was working on some stuff in my headphones and I was starting to catch stuff like how long it was taking him to do stuff. He talked about the pin wash, I think took him five days because of the size of the vehicle and the amount of work he does and how he individualizes it so much, which, you know, he, he, that is, you know, that's a lot of time. Uh, and, you know, we all, you know, we, I wish I could do that too, but, it, it, but his work is so the subtleness of things on that vehicle or that mortar are just great. The dirt that he has actually um, behind the road wheels, I guess they're called road wheels on a big, huge thing like that is, is you don't see it very well. And he points it out. Yeah. You're not going to see this, a lot of this, but you know, it's there and you, you see the video, the exhaust pipes, how he painted the exhaust pipes, a dark gray, and then went in with a very light color and they just molded it around the whole picture and then put rust over top of it and watered it down and just let it flow and dried it off real quick. And it looked just, you know, three paints, bang fantastic you see stuff like that and we all know that you know he's changed his style a little bit of putting out videos but when you have a video like that of 31 minutes of showing you how he did the weathering on this this vehicle it is so worth it to me it is at least when i see his stuff and you you know i would rather have him put a video out every three weeks with this quality and this, the amount of information you get and how he does stuff any day. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but you know, his stuff is just when he slows down like this and explains stuff a lot more, it just such, it opens so many eyes to me. So that's what I completely agree. This, this new schedule for him, it can only be a good thing for everyone when he's happier and he's in a better place and he's doing projects he likes on a schedule he's happy with, that can only mean the content's going to benefit from that, which means obviously us as a consumer is going to benefit greatly. It can, it can only be a good thing. Yeah, quality over quantity any day. I, I agree with you, um, Jensen. It's just going to be good for all the rest of us who are fans and who are Patreons. And, you know, it's like, yeah, if you need to take more time to to do better quality stuff than what you're already doing, sign me up. Uh, I tell you what, and one side note, I didn't know that vehicle was so big. I didn't even think about it. That thing is massive. He was in the video I saw release today it was blackening the tracks and he put them in this huge container because they're so big you know and you think about how you know that's something that rolling down the road i don't know how you would react to something like that yeah absolutely all right well uh thanks jensen that was great um we appreciate it listeners if you're seeing some some work on the plastic posse uh group that you like and you're inspired by uh make some comments you know tell the builders uh, how much you like them and enjoy them and and uh, post your own work there that's what the what the group is there for and there's some incredible people you know very very talented uh who are pu- putting work up on that page all the time anyway well uh john let's talk about some uh, upcoming model shows and events. Yeah, thanks, Scott. We have quite a calendar in the upcoming months for events all across the continent, actually. So in the world for that matter. So what's up first? This is an online contest, not even a contest, online group bill, I could I should say. Model Officers Mess 4848 Birthday Bash. It'll be held online with the Models for Heroes. We will be taking part along with some other folks in North America. And that's going to be really exciting. That's March 10th through 12th. I think everybody online here has a has a build picked out. I'll tell you what, it's it's one of those events where it's just really well done. It's for a really great cause. 
it's just a lot of fun. And, and I know we'll go into the wee hours of the morning and Scott, I think you're on uh, you're on point to lead some of the content, correct? Yeah. I'll be uh, taking some of the time zones and just kind of helping coordinate so that James gets a little bit of sleep during that weekend. Yeah. It's uh it's quite a production. They do a really good job keeping the modelers engaged and the community as well. So if you have time over that weekend, please stop by. That'll be live on the Model Officer's Mess, hosted mainly by James Skiffen, and we'll be supporting that along with a few other folks. In addition to that, we have Commies Fest, March 25th at the Wings Over the Rockies Centennial Facility, which is called the Exploration of Flight. That is in my neck of the woods, and I cannot wait for it. I know a lot of folks are coming into town to, for this event, and it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Uh, so that is Saturday the 25th. Uh, as I mentioned previously in the video, or sorry, on the podcast, the IPMS Hamilton's Heritage Con 15 will be held on Sunday, March 26th at the Canadian Warplane Heritage. I know a lot of people are going to it. I think the other podcast, Scale Model Podcast, obviously, is going to be up there. The Mojo folks are going. And then I think Darren from the Geeks as well. So it's going to be quite a quite an event. Really wish we could go. It just happened to fall on the same weekend as Commies Fest. And the other one I can literally see from my house. So uh, it's unfortunate, but we will definitely be there in spirit. We'll be sharing all the content that the other podcasts are sharing. And we look forward to hearing about it. And I guess I got to get the Moose Root Cup done for that. So that's coming along. So after the Heritage Con, we have the MFCA show May 5th and 6th at the Radisson Hotel, Philadelphia East. Should be a great show. People come in through all out the world to bring their work, and it's really, 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 really good, and I wish I could be going. So super jealous. TJ's going to be there. I'm sure he's going to clean up and can't wait to see the content he creates from that event. And we have the big event, the uh, IPMS Nationals in San Marcos, Texas, August 2nd through the 5th. This will be an absolutely fantastic time. We have another royal appearance. By then, I hope he's a sir. I mean, we'll get the documents in order. So we can have it during the uh, during the presentation. But no, uh, all jokes aside, this should be an awesome event held Santa Marcos, Texas, the IPMS Nationals. Don't miss it. Everybody who's anyone will be there and it will certainly be a great time. Well, uh, lots of shows that are happening. We're super excited. If uh, you guys have a local chapter or a show that we'd uh, that you'd like us to talk about, uh, go ahead and email the details of those to plasticbossypodcast at gmail.com and we will add them to the list. All right. Well, let's take a moment and uh, hear from our good friends over at Bases by Bill and then uh, come back and uh, get a group build update from TJ. The Triple P Mache Group Build is sponsored by Bases by Bill. Bases by Bill specialized in making beautiful, crafted, wooden custom display solutions for your scale models, built by modelers for modelers. These premium quality display cases and innovative base designs are available for just about any size of model. These custom sized display bases range from 4 to 30 inches, providing the perfect foundation for dioramas or vignettes. As a reminder, if you don't see what you need, ask. Chances are they can customize the perfect solution for you. Check out Bases by Bill and see the new custom display products for busts and figures. Use the code POSSE, P-O-S-S-E, at checkout to apply a 15% listener discount to your order. Bases by Bill for all your model display needs. All right, so we'll take a quick look over at the Plus Posse Podcast MAK SF3D group build. Admittedly, not a lot has happened because it's only been seven days since we last recorded. So the, the main um, stuff going on is stuff I've been posting uh, with the Goblin. And our friend Joshua has been posting his um, 
metal that he's been building. He's working on a little base uh, for it. It looks really cool. I printed him a name tag or a, a plaque for it, a couple plaques so he can choose one. And uh, that is on the way to him. He should have that by the time this airs. The other thing going on is uh, Jason Davis, who I know from a bunch of other Mac groups, is also building a goblin because he saw me build my goblin and now he he has one. So he's heard of that. So good luck to him. It's be a little bit of a challenging kit and that's pretty much it it's been a little quiet this week well uh i heard you made a purchase from somewhere in japan that's going to be here in a couple months uh, what is that tj <laughs> oh yeah i forgot about that uh which reminds me i should probably pay them um <laughs> yeah i bought a um or i've ordered i haven't bought it yet i've ordered a one three fifth scale sphinx man that's um for the uninitiated, the Sphinx is a hovering missile platform, and it's in one thirty-fifth scale, and it is large. Brian Krieger's done one. He's, I think, done the only one I've ever seen other than maybe one other. His is definitely the best by far. It's so awesome. I have a 176 scale version of it too. And that alone is, is a solid chunk of, of resin. And it's only, I don't know, four or five inches long. Uh, yeah. So one thirty-fifth scale thing will literally fill up my whole desk. Um, I can't wait to get it. I should be getting it in April, May. Yeah. It's and not going to come to any show this year, I don't think. <laughs> that thing is even bigger than your nutcracker, the nutcracker on the. Oh. It, it makes oh, that thing look like tiny. Yeah. So when I get it, I'll probably start building it. So that will be in the group in a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> and Brian's was okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, can't win. Can't win locally, but yeah. let's be honest. I mean, yeah. it's. It's all right. Funniest story, though, is should I put a figure next to it to show how big it is? Yeah, you should. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. It, it was, it was like, like you said, though, it was OK. It did OK. You know, it, it, people looked at it. All right. Well, thank you, TJ. Appreciate that uh, group update. If you guys haven't joined uh, the Machine and Krieger uh, group build and you'd like to, just uh, look on Facebook for Plastic Posse MAK group build. And, uh, you know, we'd love to. Love to have you. There's a few rules, so check out the uh, group for that. And you know, we're gonna plan on uh, having everybody reveal their their work at San Marcos at the IPMS Nationals. All right, let's roll into some feedback. Doug, what has the Plastic Posse been up to? Well, we had a lot of feedback regarding our discussion from our last episode. We'll start with Eric DeGleish. He writes to say, "I eventually got to listen to episode 62, and what a great episode!" I'm in agreement that modeling is purely for fun, and although I try to be in the ballpark of accuracy, I don't get hung up over it. Great to hear from Uncle Night Shift again, and boy, does he seem happier compared to recent months. I wonder if he's really going to do a mock hay kit. It would be really cool if he does. Well, we are uh, pretty certain that he's going to do a Machine and Krieger kit, so we'll just leave it at that, but pretty sure you guys might see something like that from him soon. He continues, I don't know if everyone listened all the way to the end, but you guys talked about non-modeling podcasts. The only other things I listened to are audiobooks, especially Stephen Fry. I really enjoyed him reading the Harry Potter series, and I just downloaded Stephen reading Sherlock Holmes, so hopefully that'll be cool. Scott mentioned that he listened to a podcast of Extinct Civilizations. Can I ask the name of that podcast? It's something I'd be interested in. Thanks, guys, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Yeah, that podcast is called The Fall of Civilizations. Pretty good if you're into that kind of thing. I enjoy it. I've got to be honest. I'm disappointed I missed out on that talk. That would have been a fun one. Such is life. Yeah, so it seems like we were in the mood to talk about non-modeling podcasts, and we got a lot more feedback on that. Jesse Naughton recommended, among others, Hardcore History, Intelligence Matters. We have ways of making you talk. 
The Moth, still my favorite single episode, is The Bathtub Sailor of that one. Radio Lab, Cautionary Tales, Against the Rules, Modern War Institute, Revisionist History, and Lost Ballparks. Matt McDougall, a.k.a. Dugues, also wrote, Y'all were, y'all, he actually spelt y'all, just so y'all know. Y'all were asking about non-modeling podcasts in the last episode, and I've got one for you. If you like movies and just some dang good storytelling, I, I, sorry, I ad-libbed that dang part. The Are You Afraid of a Dark Universe is fantastic. The premise is ridiculous. Two guys building an MCU-style universe with the universal monsters like Frankenstein, Dracula, Invisible Man, etc. off the back of the terrible Tom Cruise mummy movie. Each episode, one of them writes and pitches the next movie in the series. They wrapped phase one at the end of 2022 with an Avenger-style team-up that's better than most movies I saw last year. If nothing else, it's worth listening to just for the Invisible Man treatment. Jim Schmidt adds this to our Stinger segments. Really enjoyed the after show of 62. The Last of Us discussion reminded me that I had recently caught up on some old episodes. In episode seven, Scott, TJ, and Doug talked about Diablo 4. Our son started it started as a test analyst for the on the D4 team a couple years ago. It's been so interesting to get a bit of a peek behind the curtain of the game and the game making in general. The amount of resources for a AAA game title is just astounding. Keep up the great work. Yeah, we are getting really, really close to that. I think June 5th uh, is the release date for Diablo 4. And uh, man, it's been a long wait. I'm really excited. What, what about you guys? It, yeah, it's been a long wait. Uh, we talked about that on episode seven, and we are <laughs> exactly. on episode 64, and it's still not out yet. But um, hey, look, it's D4 is going to be sweet. They, you know, it was a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, they released, um, I think the, one of the last, um, character, uh, videos thing for the Necromancer. Ugh, I love Diablo. Diablo three is still one of my all time favorite games. And, um, yeah, I'll be diving headfirst, grinding out some monsters when, when D4 comes out. Got to go well, kill Diablo again. Absolutely. I, I hope their uh, their servers are ready for it because I took the day off. It was my birthday when D3 came out. I took the day off. I got myself a big lunch and I got set up to play and their servers crashed. They weren't ready for that much play. And so I didn't get to play it on my birthday. I just hope I, I hope they're ready this time. That's a very sad story, Doug. It was a sad story, but I've grown since then. Yeah, I just I think we talked about this way, way back when. But yeah, just the Diablo franchise, like TJ said, I, I played played them all and uh, just can't wait for this one. The the changes that they've made and the updated graphics in the world, they, they just all look fantastic. So uh, crossing my fingers that uh, lives up to expectations. Well, thanks, everybody. And remember that you can send your feedback and suggestions to us via email at plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com. All right, listeners, now it's time for our special segment with Miranda and Stefan Martins from Holland and Malcolm Childs from Models for Heroes in the UK. This was a super interesting conversation. They both have a wonderful mission in their countries, and it was just great to talk to both of them before we kick off the Models for Heroes group build. So we're going to go off into the episode and we'll catch you on the flip side.
Well, hello, everybody. Welcome in. Of course, I am Scott. I'm joined today by my co-host, Mr. John Benani. How you doing, John? I'm fantastic. I'm looking forward to this discussion. We are joined today by three special guests who are also friends, done some things together in the past, and we're going to be doing some things in the future that we'll talk about. First of all, we have the lovely, handsome Mr. Malcolm Childs from Models for Heroes and also Just Making Conversation. Hey guys. How you doing, Malcolm? I'm good. Thank you very much. Very well. Thanks. It's a fine Sunday afternoon. <laughs> and then we also have Stefan and Miranda Mertens. I know that's not the, the right way to say it, but how are you guys today joining us from the Netherlands? How are we doing fine, uh, Scott? Yeah, doing great. Yeah. Thank you. And it's almost the same weather as on the other side of the channel. So uh, <laughs> Awesome. Well, we are here today to talk about Models for Veterans, which is an organization that is closely aligned with Models for Heroes, which, as hopefully all of you or most of you know, is uh, is a partner of the Plastic Posse. It's an organization that we really strongly believe in, and we're proud to do whatever we can to help. I, I think where I want to start is with uh, Malcolm and uh, maybe have him just give everybody a brief introduction of Models for Heroes, uh, what it does, how it starts. And then we'll go from there. Mm, okay. So Models for Heroes is a charitable organization set up in the UK. We've been running since 2017. We provide model making kits and guidance and model making sessions, both online and face to face, to the armed forces personnel uh, serving and former and also emergency service personnel as well. Um, the model making hobby is uh, incredibly uh, wholesome and meaningful. <laughs> it's like my elevator pitch you're asking me to do here, Scott. Um, it's incredibly wholesome and uh, meaningful and is a fantastic activity for veterans and everybody, but specifically for veterans because a lot, a lot of the uh, the hobby deals with military uh, subjects. Uh, yeah, it's it, that's pretty much what we do in a in a, in a nutshell. Well, it, I, I think it's much, much more to that to the individual participants, and you know maybe a good way to uh, build on that is Stefan. Let's start with you. But um, how how did you meet Malcolm, and where did your association start with uh, Models for Heroes? Uh, I'm uh, a veteran in the in the Netherlands, and. I was uh, suffering PTSD, and in that matter, I started a web shop uh, with scale models because it, it gave me a lot of rest and and uh, relaxing to to build some some models. It keeps my mind clear. I get some veterans in my shop, and they said I don't have any money to buy any uh, models because I'm I, I cannot I, I cannot afford it. And it, it hurts me a lot. It, it, um, I, I had a, a strong feeling I had to do something with it. And then Malcolm came on the road uh, because I saw um, a video clip on the BBC. And that's how I contacted Malcolm. And we made an, a sort of exact copy of what they're doing in, uh, in the UK. Uh, we also uh, provide uh, veterans uh, to come together uh, to keep uh, building uh, skill models and the veterans who cannot afford any uh, skill modeling uh, boxes, uh, we we give it to him. So that's in a nutshell how I uh, met Malcolm. 
Oh, that's fantastic. And, you know, you alluded to, um, you know, helping veterans who maybe didn't have the financial wherewithal to do yeah. modeling. But of course, there's a lot more, a lot more to it than that. You know, the, um, you mentioned the impact that modeling's had on your own personal life, the, the distraction that the hobby can provide from, you know, some of the issues that people suffer from that, especially veterans. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's too much to say that it can be potentially life saving. Uh, to to help somebody get a hobby and to feel like they're a part of something that allows them to focus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Miranda, give us your 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 Malcolm story. How you know? I assume that it's going to be pretty well connected here. But tell us about a little bit about uh, meeting Malcolm and and what your role is in uh, Models for Veterans. Yeah, uh, we met Malcolm. Uh, we said we sent him a message. Um, uh, through um, Facebook, I uh, thought, yeah. And, well, he responded immediately and was very enthusiastic. Um, he really wanted to support us and gave us a lot of tips. We set up uh, online meetings uh, through to StreamYard. And we also do this once a week, um, just like Models for Heroes uh, uh, does right now. So, yeah, um, we had great tips from Malcolm. Um, especially for uh, veterans that were at home, um, isolated and with the curtains closed and, and yeah, just couldn't get out. So, um, yeah, we managed to get a lot of uh, veterans uh, to meet other veterans again. And, um, well, um, each veteran that we can help is, is one and, and we are very proud of it. So, yeah. As you should be, you know, you alluded to the fact that, the, you know, this hobby and also people that suffer um, from different, you know, struggles and everything tend to tend to be isolated. And uh, people that do this hobby tend to be isolated. And, you know, just from a general standpoint, I think when we collaborate and we share our experiences and we work on things together, I think the hobby takes on a whole new perspective. I think it, it's very, very powerful just yeah. from a just from a community standpoint point, but particularly from what you guys are doing as to the impact it can make in people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. And we encourage um, the veterans in the Netherlands to go ahead and contact Malcolm and other veterans from Models for Heroes too. And they are very open to it and very supportive. So yeah, it's, it's very great. Malcolm, maybe... Maybe you can help us a little bit with, you know, some, some of the specifics. I know that you're, you're going to be the most well versed, but why is having a hobby, doing something with your hands, you know, that kind of thing? Why is it such a powerful tool in helping people who are suffering? Um, there has been some research done on the distraction that the hobby can bring, uh, not directly scale modeling, but activities that require all of your, your thought and, the the healing power that that can give you so so like daydreaming or uh meditation that kind of thing that kind of relaxing uh quieting of your mind to allow you to regather your thoughts is quite powerful and um psychologists call it the the uh, what they call it they call it flow that's right um and it's when you lose track of time you lose track of uh yourself and you're just in the present moment you're not thinking about your future or past you're just thinking about the now and i think flow could be found in uh, if you go running i don't know how much a runner you are scott or 
or Miranda or, or JB here, but when you go running, that they can get into, into, into a zone uh, where you are just not thinking about anything else, just, just the road ahead, if you like. Um, and that's incredibly restful, relax, relaxing uh, state. So there's that. So that can be um, quite bring you peace, you know, basically. But also the fact that the, the hobby is focusing on uh, mostly uh, military subjects. Um, veterans obviously have that knowledge of what the, those bits and pieces in the kit are and what they do and what they're for and whether it's the right filters for the right place. Rather in that conflict, they have that, that, those wheels. And, and, and those little details, we, as scale modelers, love and want to get right. You know, um, uh, veterans... It's, that's their bread and butter that's what they know so having that uh meaningful uh need you know, within the hobby is, is very very powerful especially when you have a, a veteran who's you know feeling very down and and um isolated and uh you know is what is concerned about not having a a purpose anymore scale modeling can really bring that back out um so more research needs to be done clearly but uh, uh there there the there's something that uh, Models for Heroes are going to try and uh, try and do in the future. So um, tell us a little bit uh, first, Malcolm, and then uh, Stefan and Miranda. How do these organizations work? You know, are they are they fueled by volunteers? You know, um, how can people in the UK and also in the Netherlands help your organizations out? Let's start there. Okay. Well, um, Models for Heroes is voluntary run. So we're entirely uh, run by volunteers. We are in the UK. It's called a uh, community interest company. So all our profits that we make for making profits um, <laughs> go back into the uh, the company and and you know in terms of uh, stock and running it and admin and everything else uh, we also have a governance so we have uh, directors or, or trustees if you like that make sure that going on the on the right path and we're doing everything as our mission is you know we're doing everything for veterans and emergency service personnel um, and doing everything proper and transparently, we also are part of the fundraising regulator here in the UK. So it means that all our fundraising has to be legitimate and, uh, and again, transparent and, and that we are accountable for the things that we do, which is really important for a charitable organization, obviously, to be, you know, a hundred percent honest and legal and everything else. So that all running all that does actually just takes quite a lot of time out of model making, unfortunately. Um, I'm sure that uh, scale models for vets have the same sort of administration difficulties yeah miranda's nodding uh, that that we do and it, it just comes it gets worse the bigger you get you get um and and the, and the larger you get and the more success you have uh with your with your organization but yeah that's that's pretty much how we are run and in the UK, Malcolm, if somebody wanted to donate time or, or volunteer or, or donate money, how, how would they do that for Models for Heroes? On um, the website, modelsforheroes.org.uk, there is a massive green button called Donate. Hit that and it gives you all the information you require. So uh, whether you're donating kits, whether you're donating your time, whether you're donating airfix flying hours to us, or whether you are donating funds uh, or indeed unstarted model kits all the details are there for uh, donations from the uk to us we also have international links as well so you can find out uh, uh, the links to scale models for vets over in tilburg and then we also have the the uh, the couple of other organizations that are internationally too 
Um, so if you go to modelsforheroes.org.uk, that's modelsforheroes.org.uk, <laughs> then you'll uh, you'll get all the uh, the info you need. Also, you can um, pop me an email if you click on the contact button. That email comes to us. Excellent, excellent. Well, Stefan and Miranda, you guys are up. Uh, tell us a little bit. Uh, same question for you. Um, you know, first of all, how, how does your operation work? Um, you know, volunteers, et cetera. And then how do people in the Netherlands, um, how can they help? Um, our organization is almost similar like uh, Models for Heroes. Uh, we work with volunteers and we have a few uh, places where, where we come together uh, to build skill models and talk to each other and yeah, have a lot of fun. That's the most important thing, having a lot of fun and uh, learn uh, about skill modeling from each other. So we can lift each other uh, up to a, a higher level. Uh, we are working with uh, some organizations uh, like you have in the USA, uh, the uh, USO uh, organization. They uh, give us uh, some money to, uh, to, to get some pro projects in the Netherlands uh, where we can help uh, a few uh, veterans for a whole year. And then they get every month uh, about one or two uh, skill models boxes uh, or they get an airbrush uh, or other materials. Uh, materials. We are uh, having uh, once a week on StreamYard a show for about uh, two hours. And we are starting in the Netherlands at, at about seven o'clock on uh, Wednesday. And it's uh, until about nine o'clock. So it's about yeah this time uh, for uh, for, for the viewers in UK and in the, uh, the USA. And what else? Oh, we how support, uh, mental, uh, hospitals. Yeah. Uh, we are supporting mental hospitals, uh, military hospital in the Netherlands, uh, where they, um, have some guys who are suffering from PTSD and then they can, can also do uh, skill modeling over there when some people want to donate. Uh, we have also a website, skillmodelsforvets.nl, and there they can find all the information about uh, donating uh, skill models, uh, donating money, and if they want to be a volunteer in the Netherlands, how to do that. They can send us an email, uh, skillmodelsforvet at gmail.com, and that's that's about it. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And um, just to all three of you, just it's admirable what you do and, you know, using using this hobby and and using, you know, your own personal time. You know, Malcolm Malcolm mentioned how much time it takes <laughs> away from your own hobby, but it yeah. helps so many people. And it's a cause that John and I uh, really, really believe in. And, you know, the Plastic Posse, we really believe in. It's part of, of what we view our social media platform as a builder of community and, and you know, know, trying to help people uh, remember that they're not alone. You know, there are people all over the world that may not have a local hobby store or have a club or a group of friends with them. And in your case, you know, people that maybe are suffering and uh, it's so important. Well, I'm going to turn some time over to John and uh, we want to talk about some upcoming events and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, thanks, Scott. You know, I, I actually want to hit the rewind button and go back to November. Uh, you know, one of the topics I think we we glossed over really quickly, and it really struck me and showed the impact of the work that you're doing, Malcolm, is the time at Scale Model World Telford. I was really blown away by 
your presence there, models for heroes, the type of environment that you created in that side of the hall. If you could just talk about for our listeners that won't weren't there, maybe talk about your booth and and the the uh, was it the walnut challenge as well that was there because you showed me the one that was with the Kuba wagon. So maybe just talk a little bit about that event and kind of did it bring people in from the community that maybe had never gone to a show before. So yeah, so scale model world, we always try and make our display kind of the hub or the center of people's visit, especially if they're a beneficiary. Not only so someone can throw their bag or their coat, but also as a, a base, a safe base, safe place you can go. You know, if you're once once you've been walking around hundreds and hundreds of people, sometimes you just want a quiet time. Um, so we always offer that, and we always get the nice comfy comfy chairs as well for uh, tired legs uh, and. This year, I think we probably had about 40 to 50 people just around our, our stand, which was lovely. Not particularly lovely for the people that were trying to trade around us, but mm. um, we, 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 um, we, yeah, we just had a, a fantastic group of people there and were able to, we were able to offer that kind of that space for people. The show itself was, was fantastic, uh, as you know. Um, I could hardly walk anywhere without getting. Uh, accosted or grabbed or or talked to <laughs> forcefully um, by somebody um but uh yeah it was it was great it was really good and again you know, i'd love to go as a as a punter one day just and just enjoy the, the show from the other side of the fence one day that'd be good but yeah no it's a it was it was brilliant and uh we're really really pleased to be able to offer a, a place for veterans to be able to hang out i mean especially right around uh on the sunday around the the remembrance as well um that was quite special and i'm always quite proud of how well respected and and respectful people are in in that hall and you've got what five how many people do you think is in there five thousand people at once at least at least at least yeah at least in one hall (laughs) so there's three halls and all three halls are silent for two minutes and they're reflecting on um our bravest and uh, it's, it's quite amazing because I don't think at the local cenotaph you would have that many people. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just wonderful, uh, and I love the fact that I felt comfortable that the the veterans were happy to go to the the minute silence with us rather than their local one. You know, they felt happy enough to go uh, to, with Models for Heroes, which is quite quite powerful, I think. But yeah, uh, hopefully, um, we'll be even as big or even even bigger next year. Um, it's it was a it was a lovely lovely event and um it was great to see so many of our beneficiaries who had made the pilgrimage <laughs> to to see us um at that show but it's the same it's similar in, in most of the model shows that we go to the local the smaller ones we have that same sort of uh, vibe going on we try and try and culture that um friendly kind of accepting and, and welcoming atmosphere with our tables if we can that's awesome. I, I hope to drag Scott over there maybe next year or the year after because it is something special. And, and I'll, I'll say a big thanks to you again for the warm welcome. And I remember the first day we were there, we were up on the uh, the catwalk there and saw you and gave a good wave and, and we were off to the races for a wonderful weekend. So uh, amazing what you do there. Amazing what you do outside of Telford. You know, one of the events that I'd love to, to hit on because it's coming up quick and it also involves Stefan and Miranda is the 48 and 48. And if you could just, you know, maybe, maybe we'll bounce back and forth. I'll, I'll start with you, Malcolm, and then we can kick it over, over the channel to them to discuss. But, you know, maybe talk about the impetus of that. What started it all? And, and because I think it's grown huge. I mean, it's, it's something we certainly look forward to. And we, we, uh, we know our listeners are going to participate this year as well. Yeah. So, uh, the 48 came from James Skiffins, as I'm sure you, 
know the name. Um, James Skiffords, um, he has a uh, Facebook page called Model Officer, um, Officer's Mess, and they had uh, a birthday and they decided to do um, a little group build years ago uh, where they had to build a 148 scale kit in 48 hours. And uh, that caught on and they decided to next year raise some money and they raised money for Models for Heroes and they raised thousands of pounds. And then they did it again and they involved the Scale Models for Vets as well. And they involved uh, oh, oh, lots of groups around. They involved the Triple P, if I remember rightly. Was it Model Geeks, I think? Other podcasts from around uh, the, the globe, as well as you know, other, other groups and, and people who were, you know, just wanted to take part to join the live stream and, you know, be part of this big 48 hour model marathon, I guess is what the we could call it. Um, the, the uh, and so it all comes from the model officers mess. So if you wanted to get involved, that is where you would head um, to the Facebook page, which is model officers mess. And there's, um, uh, there's a donate page on there if you want to donate. There's there's a, 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 an enrollment, if you like. It's where you put up what you're going to build, and then you can upload photographs as you go. If you can't join the live stream the entire time, you upload photographs of what you're building over that 48 hours, and then during the live stream, people will be selecting uh, photographs to, to show on the live stream as well. So you, so everyone feels like a part of it. At 48 hours, the entire world is, is model making, uh, 148 scale. Yeah, James and his crew... Uh- you know, do a really great job. It's very entertaining. They'll remind you to get up and move around. They keep everybody involved. They make sure that, you know, it's it's an ongoing conversation. He does trivia. They do contests. And then later on in the weekend, they're going to do uh, auctions as well. So uh, James and his team just do an incredible job. I don't think James gets much sleep <laughs> that weekend and everything. Uh, but Stefan and Miranda, I mean, that's where we met you guys is in one of these events and man, what a, what a great time it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. It's fabulous all over the world. Uh, they are building skill, uh, a skill model in uh, skill 48 and we're having a lot of fun and yeah, it's, it's fun to see how everybody interacts and, and come together all around the world. That's great. And we try to help. Um, um, yeah, we try to help James, James a little bit with his, uh, with his show, with, so, with his show so. so he can get some sleep. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing mm-hmm. how, you know, the first one we, we did, the difference from one to the next and, you know, how many time zones. And, you know, for the, the event coming up on March 10th through the 12th, I think we've got people from Australia now on the bench that are going to be participating. So we've, you know, got, you know, uh, European, uh, United States and, you know, the Western Hemisphere and now Australia as well. So, man, how exciting is that? Yeah. Yeah. And I also think New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's very great. You obviously know more than me. (laughs) (laughs) He was trying to get uh, at least one person from every continent in the future. Yeah. 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 That's brilliant, isn't it? No, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's promised he's going to do more, more delegating this year than he did last year. I hope because so. Because he was yeah. like a disc jockey with like 30 different t- turntables, like <laughs> <laughs> plates, you know. Um, so he's going to, he, I think, uh, we have to grab him and physically remove him from the computer this time. But I'm, yeah. I- I'm always amazed at some of the projects that people pull out. I think, what was it last year? A 48 scale F-18? I mean, I, <laughs> usually that's a, like a 
48 day to 48 month kind of thing with some people I know. Uh, so it was pretty amazing to see the amount of effort that was put in by a lot of the, a lot of the members. And I think what's important to hit on is, is just the camaraderie, no matter what time of the day, what place in the world you could jump in and jump out, feel welcomed, have a safe space and just enjoy the, the hobby of scale modeling. And, and I, I hazard, you know, I'll make a bold claim. It's, it's one of those events that it really allows you to connect with people throughout the world. And I, I think it's very hard to find that in a lot of other activities in life. You know, when I go into work or I talk to some friends who aren't part of the hobby and I mentioned, you know, last year I did talk about the 48 and 48. I remember telling my boss and they're like, we were at a team meeting and they're like, well, what are you going to be doing this weekend? Anything fun? I'm like, well, I'm going to be doing, you know, some hobby stuff that's related to a fundraiser for a really great cause. And they, and they kind of, kind of poked and prodded, like, well, what does that mean? What, what, what are you, what's, what's the fundraiser? Who are these people? I'm like, well, it's, it's this event to support veterans. It has people throughout the world. The idea is you build a model kit over two days. Uh, you connect with these people and you, you establish lifelong friendships. And it was kind of quiet in the room. And, and I think they were processing like, holy cow, you like, you can do this. Like, is this possible? You, you have friends throughout the world. You, this is like, that sounds amazing. And what I found was, you know, just a lot of support, not only for the hobby, of course, but, but for the event itself, the mission of the event and the people that are supporting it. So I, I think bravo to, to both of, uh, both you, Stefan and Miranda and, and Malcolm and James, of course, like that's the type of event that I love and I would love to see more of. But we're certainly happy to be a part of it. And I, I already have my kit right here. I actually pulled it out of the box. I'm going to be doing a 48 scale 3D printed um, tank that I bought from China. I just bring it up because I'm already excited. I plan months in advance for this. I actually have two more 3D printed kits coming. So I might be ambitious again and do two kits. But uh, bottom line, I, I love the event. I know a lot of other people do. And we certainly can't wait for it. There's, there's always a bit of rivalry that goes on. <laughs> During this 48 hour field, so I don't know if, if you've ever seen wow. it or, or picked up on it, especially with the, the guys from the Netherlands who like just like to one up themselves uh, every single time. Who who was it that put or promised to put smoke machines into their build this year? I can't remember who that was. Somebody said they wanted to put smoke machine in, but yeah, lights, lights going into builds was one of the things. It was last year, I think. Someone put some lights in. And what was and, incredible was, was, was oh, I can't remember who it was. Was it Hoop or something? I can't remember. But they'd done a diorama and then they had the lights off. And they said, what do you think? And they said, oh, yeah, you can't really see it. And then he clicked the button and the lights came on. And yeah. Secretly, it added the lights. <laughs> I know. And in 148 scale, then you've got superhuman people like James who is busy the whole weekend running this thing. He, he starts a model and then said, no, this isn't going to work. Tosses that and then gets out another model and then makes a model and a diorama and finishes in 48 yeah. hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. In a frame on his wall. Yeah. Fantastic. But uh, that's the fun, I think, is that it's not just building a model kit. It's, it's everything else on top of that as well. So if you wanted to build a diorama, you can actually... It also kind of changes the way you make models as well. It, it teaches you techniques and, and skills that perhaps you can really, really cut corners with. You don't actually have to worry about the quality changing as well. And also, obviously, everyone's working together and um, can problem solve with you if you have a difficulty. 
Yeah, it, it's a real, it's a variety of builders. And so you really just have a terrific variety of subjects. You've got people that are working on figures and other people that are working, you know, John and I last year did uh, sci-fi subjects uh, um, from uh, Star Wars gaming models and had a really good time with that. You've got aircraft, you've got armor. So it's really, really fun to do that. But Malcolm, you make a great point. The, the idea of having a 48 hour uh, weekend where you can set aside and complete a build for me it's a real benefit i mean it may not sound like a benefit but for me with a job and a podcast and a few other thousand things to do to be able to set aside some time to as john mentioned hang out with good friends all around the world and and share a hobby that we love so much but then actually complete a project and um, as you also mentioned kind of changing the way that you build you know arranging a build and creating a plan that you think is realistic to get your build done in that 48 hour time period i think it it plan. helps give you give you skills yeah yeah plan, plan. The P word, <laughs> but I, I think it helps create and sharpen skills uh, that normally you wouldn't, you know, um, I think most people when they crack open a 48 scale kit, that might not be a priority, you know, but Stefan and Miranda, what do you, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, we love just um, getting involved with all other uh, skill modelers around the world. And it's just a lot of fun and the respect for each other. And yeah, just have a, a laugh and it's, it's uh, a lot of a lot of good conversations yeah, during those forty eight hours. Yeah, uh, not about uh, not not only about skill modeling, but all different kind of things. Uh, you you have conversations even about um, breakfast or something. Yeah, <laughs> even about a proper English breakfast, for example. <laughs> yeah, uh, a waffle. And- yeah, waffles. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, waffles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a complete package in those forty-eight hours. Yeah, I have, sure. a, I have a question for Stefan, if I may. Mm-hmm. What are you going to be building in your forty-eight hours? That's what I want to know. Ooh, I cannot tell you about it. Um, <laughs> a, a little tip. Ooh, um, <laughs> it's it's something British. Oh, that that helps. Yeah, if it gets here in time. If it gets here in time, it's <laughs> gonna be some British modeling. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, is it coming from Britain? Because that might take you a long time, as, as we know. No. Things take it's coming from Germany. Through. From Germany. Oh, yeah. oh, right, up the road. Okay. In, in the in the past, it's uh, it it was getting from the UK to uh, Germany, and then uh, it 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 go it was going back if it was okay. And everything was fine. Okay. Interesting. Cryptic. What about you, um, Miranda? I have no clue. <laughs> I don't think I have something in uh, the right skill. So maybe I'm going to uh, finish up my model or something uh, in the meanwhile. So. Okay. Because I know that you've done um, figures in the past, haven't you? Or busts yeah. and things. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I have That's one uh, that I'm working on right now. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a, a lady with a guitar uh, on um a log so yeah what about you scott i think i'm gonna do another uh, star wars legion build i just really enjoyed uh last year i did the uh, skate pod with r2 and c3po really enjoyed the build i thought it fit the the timber of the weekend really well and uh, just enjoyed it so yeah i think i'll probably do um another one of those for this weekend yeah that's good well i look forward to seeing that i'm just everyone have to tune in and watch it on the live stream what about what about you malcolm any uh early favorites um well i've narrowed it down to six 
Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> Not six models in forty hours. Um, uh, I've narrowed it down to uh, six ideas, mostly aircraft, uh, and mostly kits that uh, have been bought in the past, and I just haven't got got round to. And so it's going to be a really good, a really good opportunity to build some of those kits and work on them. But yeah, probably, probably an aircraft, probably one forty-eight, <laughs> definitely one forty-eight. Nice. I know, uh, Doug, I, I think I have to rub, I have to bring up the story. I feel like Doug from our podcast, he was, he built a, I think it was a Falk Wolf 190, but he was painting, I literally think within the first 30 seconds of the bell being rung to start. So it was, it was pretty funny. I think he, he I think he probably pre-planned some things to start executing as fast as possible. Um, I think he had um, unscrewed some of the paint pots ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have it all staged up, ready to go. Uh, but I, I, I think it's important, you know, I do just just want to hit on that brief topic it, it teaches you outside of you know the you know the the true intent of the build uh i do believe it does help you understand your own modeling skill style and tempo because i've all and it, and it breaks down potential falsehoods too where you know i'm like oh i need to let paint dry for x amount of time before i do the next step and then i need to do this and that and uh in 48 hours you don't have time to do that so it's uh <laughs> It's it's a lot of fun, but yeah. Anyway, uh, so I, I I'd love to go back to to some comments made earlier, Malcolm. I'd love to learn more about kind of the logistics of of the effort that you have. So you know, we talk about it being the, the online community, but you also will go to you know physical locations. And and is it correct that you you provide classwork or you know instruction for those people? Um, yeah, going back to models for heroes, you mean? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So we have a volunteer for each modeling session. This is uh, a face-to-face -face session. Let's talk about this first. We'll have a volunteer that has been a model making for a period of time, who knows how to use the glue, how to um, sand something down, how to understand the backwards instructions sometimes um but also understand that this is a frustrating hobby and you will get frustrated um but there's always a way around something there's always a way of fixing something or picking some off the floor or putting something back together there's you can repaint things um and to teach that uh the model making hobby isn't as difficult as it is touted to be in the general public and so that's what they do they 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 guide and they encourage and they provide um, skills and text tips and techniques that perhaps they wouldn't normally learn on their own, perhaps, you know, um, but also then they'll, they'll guide them to local model clubs um, that they could join, um, guide them to different Facebook groups and, and, and forums online and just be kind of their like model, model buddy, you know, model making buddy. And, and then as part of their, kind of uh, role if you like is to encourage other um, veterans and people in the remit to, to join the group so you eventually end up with beneficiaries who've been with us for you know six months a year now signing up to be a volunteer you know who are who are stakeholders in what we do and understand the cause and and get out every couple of weeks to come out and do some model making and meet more people so it's it keeps growing like that that's the face-to-face -face ones and i think we have about 30 of those that we run in the uk now uh, over 100 volunteers and um so the, the online sessions is slightly different so when we started with uh, covid kicking off and we had lockdown um we really had to pivot and think about what we we're going to do because suddenly people who were isolated even though they had been you know they, they felt quite okay or well i'm going to be isolated anyway 
we wanted to have an extra thing that people could do. So online seemed to be the way to go and the only way to go, to be honest. So we did loads of quick research and we set up a quick online session on using Zoom or we, I think we used StreamYard a couple of times as well. And we ended up settling on, on Zoom for the online stuff. Fortunately, we got some funding from the Armed Forces Covenant Fund Trust. We got in contact with uh, another UK organization called Walking with the Wounded, and they um, helped us with all the kind of uh, the funding and the financials and the admin. Uh, and then we eventually got this, uh, this these Zoom sessions running where a beneficiary could join free and speak to people from around the UK at all different times of the day, um, ran by volunteers, which was absolutely fantastic. And, it, and it's still going now. We, we are running it ourselves through our own donations. So uh, beneficiaries can get in contact with us. They can self-refer. Out of the online sessions that we have running now, um, we have nine different modeling sessions and there's almost one a day which means that you know uh, the guys can log in join in for a couple of hours have a chat have a chin wag you know get the stresses of the day off their chest work on a bit of, bit of modeling if they want to they don't even have to turn on the cameras to be honest it's become a lifeline for some you know it's become vital for some people uh, in their day and we are really happy and proud to be able to offer that that kind of release and that and that connection with other people from those Zoom sessions, other other groups have started, like people have made their own little WhatsApp group for that particular evening. You know, we have a Saturday night Zoom session, uh, WhatsApp group for just, just the beneficiaries in, in that group. And it's absolutely fantastic. They develop their own kind of clique, I suppose, and their own culture. And <laughs> the models that they're making are, are brilliant, and they are really coming along as model makers too. So... Yeah, no, it's 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 been fantastic, and it's it's nice that we can offer face to face and online. It's it's incredible what you guys are doing, and we just can't uh, can't support you enough. And uh, really, thank you for your efforts on behalf of the people. And and you know, one of the things about the forty eight and forty eight, when this um, airs, it will be March first, and then uh, you know March tenth through the twelfth is the event. So people, please mark your calendars. Please hop on. Please build a model with us. Donate if you can. Uh, we'll have some online auctions. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to mention is during those uh, during that event. You're going to meet people that volunteer uh, for Models for Heroes, and most of those people are people that originally were clients, I guess, so to speak. And so that's really an incredible opportunity is you'll get to meet people, you know, like Stefan and Miranda and people that their lives have been changed by this hobby and by this effort that Malcolm and Stefan and, and Miranda are leading. And so really, really appreciate that so much, you guys. Well, I want to switch back to the Netherlands for a moment. Doug from our podcast, yeah, JB mentioned him earlier. Guys, uh, he participated with you in an event in the fall yeah. uh, with model Models for Veterans. Tell us a little bit about that. I know that's a little farther out, but tell us about that event. Yeah, once a year we have uh, a 48-hour build. It will be in October this year, on uh, the 27th. So it's uh, to raise funds for our uh, foundation. We don't have a, a particular skill that uh, you have to build. Last year we had a theme and it was the future is now. So yeah, just how you want to fill that in. Um, uh, you could make any skill because we have some people that wanted to join that uh, made, make very small uh, dioramas uh, like uh, 187. 
So yeah, everyone that uh, participated was very enthusiastic. And yeah, we were very happy that uh, Doug was also involved. Um, so this year, we haven't decided yet what the, the uh, topic will be, but yeah, we will get to that um, later this year. So yeah, if people want to join in uh, in the fall, they are very welcome. I have my um, my my future is now build here over on my my shelf with a little macross um figure. Cool. i absolutely loved building this um i i was really so, sorry that i couldn't be there for the whole event but i was there at the beginning and i think i was right there right just at the end so <laughs> but i managed to build that little little robot and yeah it's, it's just brilliant just brilliant fantastic even if you can't join the entire weekend and you can only pop in here and there you know between family commitments and things it's it's, it's absolutely brilliant what date was that sorry uh the 27th of october we will start yeah we don't have a clue what uh, the topic will be but if you have any ideas <laughs> they're always welcome so yeah and the one before that was um it ain't much no it, it ain't dutch no what was it <laughs> It ain't, it ain't much if it ain't Dutch. <laughs> yes, that's right. And, yeah. I, and I found a, a mini art figure, a Napoleonic mini art figure of a, a part of the Dutch army, and I and I built that and painted that in in the in the time period, and that was that was brilliant. Yeah, really good. Yeah. The goal is yeah. never to finish the the model, but just join just, in. Yeah, just to participate in the, in the forty eight hour. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. have a lot of fun. Uh, you don't have to finish it. No, not at all. No, just participate. That's important. Yeah. The process, isn't it? The process of building and putting yeah. things yeah. together that is important. And we also had an auction uh, this uh, last uh, 48 hour build. And yeah, that was fantastic. Mm. Yeah, we got uh, lots of auctions for the, the 48 and 48 birthday bash as well. Um, yeah. That's, that's going to be really fun. Yeah. Um, lots of uh, companies have got involved lately and uh, the list is growing um i'm not exactly sure um because um steph is running the, the side of the auction with james and i'm not exactly sure what they have donated but i do know that there is a a, a recent airfix kit on the uh, on the cards for auction that has been signed oh. by some of the designers i know that because uh, i have it <laughs> <laughs> so i know that one for sure but there are yeah lots of companies that have got involved and are supporting us as well uh, as uh, you guys and you guys listening Okay, as we you know, as we look to wrap up this session, love to love to give a shout out to where people can find you again, Malcolm. If you could just give a shout out where people could find you on social media, mention your website, that that'd be awesome. And then I'd kick it over across the channel as well. Okie dokie. So um, to get involved with the birthday bash, which is the forty-eight and forty-eight, you can head over to the model officers mess on Facebook. Just tap it into your search bar, uh, or you can send an email to forty-eight. 48 hour which is hr 48 hr group build at gmail.com and uh, let your intentions known if you have a, an item for auction or uh, if you want to find any more details uh, but yeah it starts on the 10th of march at 7 30 p.m no matter where you are um, in your time zone so 10th of march 7 30 p.m uh, log on to the uh model officers mess facebook page get yourself a 40 hour a one and 48 hour kit and get ready for the fun models for heroes is modelsforheroes.org.uk and like i say you can get all the details of how to donate and how to support us on on there awesome thank you and stefan and miranda uh, uh you can find all the information uh about us and about a 48 hour uh, built in the netherlands uh at skillmodelsforvets.nl skill 
And um, you can find us also on Facebook. Just type in uh, Skill Models for Vets and you can uh, find us. Uh, we have three different pages on Facebook and uh, Skill Models for Vets without anything else. Uh, that's our Facebook page from the foundation. And uh, you can send us an email at skillmodelsforvets at gmail.com. Well, uh, again, uh, this is going to drop on March 1st. So um, everybody mark your calendars for the weekend of March 10th through the 12th. Uh, grab a 48 kit and be ready to go. And uh, you're going to have a great time. You know, we've we've participated in multiple multiples of these events and they're always a highlight, something that we look forward to. Uh, we expect all the posse will be on from time to time. Um, I'll be leading the Western U.S. Uh, time zones, helping uh, poor James in any way, <laughs> any way that I can uh, for that. And then just building along and just enjoying everybody's company. So if, if you're listening to this and you're kind of thinking maybe I should do it, uh, do it. It's, it's a blast. You're going to have a good time. These uh, gentlemen and this lady that that we're with, I mean, they're friends. And, and this is what we literally have become friends over. Just encourage everybody to do that. Also in the fall, October 27th, that weekend, the Models for Veterans 48-hour 48 uh, 48-hour group build. They're going to have a theme. Uh, it sounds like to be announced. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, that's going to be a lot of fun and, uh, hopefully we can support them in that again. And, uh, that will be great. You, you three, thank you so much on behalf of the posse and our listeners for what you do. It's so important. We really appreciate your time today and, uh, look forward to, uh, seeing you online March 10th. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks so much for stopping by. This was fun. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, that interview with Stefan and Miranda and then also Malcolm. You know where we stand on this. We're huge supporters of the Models for Heroes and Models for Veterans groups. Uh, please join us if you can, March 10th through the 12th. If you can't, please just make a donation. Um, if you're in the UK or in the Netherlands and you can volunteer, um, you can do that as well. Uh, but please support what these what these groups are doing it's just it's fantastic and it's amazing you know what can happen to somebody who's struggling uh, through through this hobby it does so much good and uh, it's just it's amazing when you talk to these people so anyway appreciate them joining us we're we're always uh, up for a visit with Malcolm that was a lot of fun and and uh, really really looking forward to uh, the weekend after next all right, and now uh, for a second uh, discussion topic, Mr. Mayberry. All right, guys. So this came to me by listening to a couple of our old interviews from the last couple of months, um, and also we'd lost power here a couple of weeks ago. So I, I, we live in a, a worldwide web world um, where everything is online, and I probably can never say that word again. Don't worry about it. So back when I started Miles, we didn't have these things. We had paper books and magazines. So I started to think, you know, what do people still go back to magazines and books for referencing for help on product building? Or do they just go to the Internet or watch Martin? Perfect example. Uh, or do they they jump back into books? I thought I would ask my uh, my co-host here, what do you do? So I'm going to start it off, if you guys don't mind. I do go back to books. I do find uh, reading more helpful in my kind of building style. That's the way I am. I'm more of a visual 
person. So if I'm holding something, reading some physical words and stuff like that, I, I, I tend to absorb it more than I do with a video or a podcast or TikTok or whatever. So what books do I use? Um, of course, there's the, the FAQs that are out there from Ammo, Nick. They're, they're fantastic. They're, they're, you know, there's a series of them. They're all really good. The AK series also. Their, their building series are fantastic. Their AKs got some really nice stuff too. The box sets where you can actually have everything in the box and it tells you exactly how to do it. But for me, I always go back to Douglas Lee. Uh, I'm a huge Douglas Lee fan. Douglas Lee is a great, great modeler. Born in Korea, moved to Canada, I believe. Uh, he's done some fantastic work. Uh, just look up his name. Um, search it, Douglas Lee, model builder on Google if you have to. But he's got some fantastic books. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's some dioramas out there that are, that are Doug's notoriously known for. One was uh, a diorama where he built a uh, Sherman going up the side of the Golan Heights in the 1967 war. On top, there was a trench. There was a, a Panzer IV from Syrians that were fantastic. If you look at that book, you will find... Everything you need to know about how to convert figures, how to paint figures, how to convert vehicles, how to paint big, uh, paint those vehicles, how to make groundwork, how to make groundwork look right. That is one of the, you know, this is one of the, for me, it's one of those books that it kind of slips through the, slips by everybody. They don't really think about it as much, but um, called Douglas Lee's Military Dioramas. Another one he has in here is, if you don't know, is uh, the Polish Lancers, which were supposedly, they can't confirm, but on horse attacking Panzer 1s and 2s in Poland in 1939. It's a fantastic, uh, fantastic diorama, a lot of action. There's, you know, vehicles shooting off to the sides, soldiers, horses. What, what can you add? It's just, it's just some great, great, great stuff. And I think my second favorite diorama in here is uh, he's got a uh, Russian IS-2 going through the streets of Berlin loaded down with a whole bunch of Russian troops on the back. It's like the zoo got blown up and there's like zebras and ostriches running by all these guys and they're just kind of trying to figure out what's going on and and it's a very, very interesting diorama and it, this book is very helpful in many ways. Like the things I said before, it, it helps me, it centers me when I want to work. If I'm scatterbrained, like Denson was talking about earlier, sometimes you lose yourself in your ideas. Um, this book helps me do that because um, it makes me focus on a, a certain subject, um, a certain diorama and how he did certain work. And I'm a lot like Jensen in that way. I do get myself overwhelmed in, in the topic, but I would like to find out from everybody else uh, how what they use. If they don't, if you don't, if you don't use books, do you use the internet? Do you, what, what sites do you use to help you? I'm going to go to Scott first. What do you think, Scott? Um, you know, I guess my answer is a little bit mixed. I generally tend to do digital on magazines now just because you know, I've kind of gotten to the point where I don't want big piles of magazines and, and those kind of things together in the corners of the house. And I get on a lot of airplanes and do a lot of traveling and I can, you know, have, it doesn't matter how many, you know, on my iPad at the same time, you know, that I can go through and, and check out and, you know, you can blow it up, you know, moving your fingers and stuff. And so I do a lot of that digital. But, you know, some of the things that you mentioned, the AK, FAQ, I mean, that last uh, sci-fi FAQ that Link did is just absolutely uh, terrific. And I, I don't know that that would be the same because it's quite a large book and a large format. So I'm not sure that would translate digitally, uh, maybe as well. And then, you know, I'll get a book every now and then. Um, AK did a book recently uh, that I picked up for a copy for myself and Aaron Cook on uh painting Japanese uh, World War II armor subjects. 
and, uh, you know, picked that up and uh, yeah, picked up some books uh, kind of recently on modeling Russian paint schemes as well. So I still do buy books, uh, but just not nearly as frequently as I used to. And so I guess I'm still sort of one toe on one side and one toe on the other still. Uh, yeah, I understand that, Scott. You know, it, it, space is an issue. Um, I think that's an issue for a lot of us. Um, so I can I can completely understand that. I appreciate that too. Uh, what about you, Jensen? Yeah, so um, I have, in comparison to a lot of people, a relatively small collection of books and magazines and stuff. I do prefer having a physical copy of something, like the FAQ, um, the Diorama book. That's my my holy grail book. I, I, I love getting that off the shelf and going to exactly where I need in the book and and I, I always find what I need and then I end up looking at the entire book again. It's one of those, um, I like having the book because it's it's the media is there for exactly what I need. I look in it, I look for the reference, I see what I need and so on. If I go on the internet, I guarantee 100 times out of 100, I'll look for what I need, then I'm distracted because it's more than just the reference. It's like, oh, YouTube. If I can try and avoid getting to the computer or the tablet or the phone or whatever, it's probably for the best because I know I'll just find something else to distract myself in a book all the content is in the book. Everything I need is there. There's nothing else to divert me. Um, so yeah, uh, having physical copies of books and magazines. Oh boy, it looks like we've lost Jensen completely. Okay, so uh, TJ, what about you? Um, yeah, I love books, both physical and digital. I mean, the, the reality is some books you have no choice but to get it in digital. Um, I have the, um, oh, I can't remember who makes it. It's the, the modeling uh sherman's oh man john uh, john knows uh because i think he has the the paperback copy of it um is i think is is it afe i think it's yeah. AFE modeler yeah yeah the one we were talking about gunner bombers yeah 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 that, i mean i think they brought it back and did another run of it but i i already had it in digital that was my only choice i wanted the book i had to get it in digital um i have one of the faq books in digital too but but i mean i love I love books. I have a, on the other side of this wall behind my monitor is my bookshelf. And I've got, it's the top two shelves are full of, of modeling books and reference books because I'm lucky enough to own a copy of Son of Sherman that I got from Scott that I traded him for a model. And uh, I made out like a bandit on that one. Yeah, you did. Because I was willing to fork over a lot of money. If you build Sherman tanks, you want to have this on a Sherman book. It's probably the best Sherman book, a uh, reference book. It's a, uh, it's a hefty tome as well, but man, yeah, it's and it's out of print. Probably not going to come back. That's yeah, true. That's frustrating that they keep doing that, but I'm glad. I'm glad it's with you. You have a you know a love for Sherman that mo- the Shermans that most people don't. So I'm glad you glad you've got it. It's a good book, but yeah, I wish they just quit putting it out of print. You know, you take uh, it's like uh, John. You know, John's talked about you know Duel in the Mist, and you get these books that you know go out of production, and then you've got to you know sell sell one of your children or get rid of one of the cars in the garage to afford them. You know, it's just frustrating, but yeah, that's one of the problems if you're a collector of books that you can no longer get yeah that's a that's a good point duel in the mist is is the first the first book very quick run initial run what was it 80 90 bucks at the time when it first came out last time i looked it was like three or four thousand on ebay for a copy of it first run um so you know that's it's crazy you know you brought up some good points there tj about you know some books you can't get in digital or some books you can't get hard copies anymore. So, you know, there is that, op- you have to make that, you know, that personal choice where you have to do that. Yeah, some, some books you can't get yeah. at all. Like yeah. some of the machine and career books I have yep. that, yep. oh, 
surprise I got from you. Yeah. And uh, I know I've mentioned more than one, more than once on this podcast, but those are some of my most prized possessions because if you like Machine and Krieger, that's really like pre, probably now, that's where it was for an American, at least. Like you just didn't see that kind of stuff here. And the books are all in Japanese. They're Japanese books. And if you wanted to see Machine and Krieger models, that's where you had to go to get them. Um, now, obviously, the internet exists and we have Link, you know, Link and Wright putting out English language uh, Machine and Krieger books. So it's it's a little bit different. But man, those books, especially now, because if if you're lucky enough to have them, which I am, they're easy to translate. You know, I, you know, in the early 2000s, yeah, it was hard because now I can just hover my phone over it and I can read exactly what it says pretty close i mean it's not perfect anyone that's used right. like the google translate knows it's it gets you it gets you in the ballpark yeah um because yeah there, there's a wealth of information you get to see like koyokiyama how he you know designs it how he paints his you know he likes it will always say he's not that good of a painter because he's not a modeler first he's a he's an artist first uh max is in those books a lot you know he has his own style and he doesn't publish in english so there's no way to see anything that he does or learn his process unless you have one of those books where he talks about his process and you're able to translate it into a language you speak yeah uh, you're you're 100 right plus you get to see really young pictures of link <laughs> so <laughs> when he looked like he was 12 years old so <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You know, there's there's some things out there you just can't get. And uh, sometimes it's it's very hard. Great points. Uh, Doug, what about you? I, uh, years and years ago, I mean, in the 90s, I had a collection of a lot of those squadron books, the walkarounds and the in-action books. Of late, I don't have a lot of new books. I have quite a few, um, some armor books. Can you believe it? <laughs> but most of what I get will be online. I'll, I'll get get uh, references. You can do a search for just about anything and find good pictures and, and maybe histories and things like that. And, you know, really get some, some uh, context into what you're building and why you're building it. I, I personally, if I had, if I, if I could control how I got my media, it'd be in, in a physical form. I like holding a book in my hand. I don't listen to audiobooks because I, I, I almost, maybe I'm old fashioned, but I almost refuse to, because I want to hold that book in my hand and read it myself. And kind of goes for for references for modeling. I want to. I would like to be able to set it up in front of me on my model desk so I can be looking at what I'm building as I'm building it. Yeah, I know you can do the same thing with a with a iPad or a, you know your your smartphone or even a computer monitor. You can do all of that stuff, but I just like a physical copy of everything. I yeah, completely understand. I mean. When you're working, and now the newly minted armor guy, before then you were a sci-fi guy. You know, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Ralph McCurry and his some of his books, uh, his series books and stuff like that, where you're working on some of the early Star Wars uh, ships, the B-Wings, the X-Wings, you know, stuff like that. Having those original images and those ideas that he came with was in the, the paint schemes that he thought of, or it's great for me because you can look at that, you know, and, and we have a good friend of the show and a good friend of mine out here in Southern California, Bao, who built the, you know, blockade runner at Nationals and all that. And he's, you know, he's the same way. He, he is a very in-depth person and he will dive into books. He will dive into the computer. And I've, you know, we've talked about this before with him and at least out here we have, and he's, he's the same way. Uh, he's just a, he's a devourer. Of his, I mean, he's a PhD professor at Caltech out here. So he knows what he's talking about, you know, but for me, that's, you know, that's very important. Appreciate it, Doug. What about you, JB? 
Yeah, I, I I think I echo everyone on here. I'm I'm a lover of you know if you I'm a lover of books. If you walk into my workshop or the office downstairs, it's it smells of leather bound books. Actually, you know, I yeah, I, I echo everything that's said. There's something tangible. You know, it's interesting. You know, I'll just acknowledge to our listeners, uh, Jensen's internet cut out unfortunately because I really would like to ping his perspective on it because he's closer in age to some of a lot of the younger generation in modeling. And I'd be curious to know their perspective because I, I love it. Um, I love physical books. It's interesting you bring up this topic because I was trying to th- remember like, what was the last modeling book I bought? I think I have to point to Rick Lawler's book almost some almost a year ago. It's yeah. It's interesting that the prevalency of modeling books has diminished a little bit. And it, it kind of in a way that I've heard from a few people, like the industry maybe is looking at going more digital, whether that's through, you know, pocket mags, Patreon from individual creators, that is, or YouTube from, from bigger brands, because I've seen like books, I feel slowed down a little bit. I, I, I want to say like, two to five years ago, it was an onslaught and I loved it because I bought them all and went broke practically. There, Something can't replace that physical, just the physical notion of a book. And and I'll be honest, I've had times where I've had a digital copy and I've bought a digital copy for cheap and I've liked the material so much that I've actually bought the book because I want the book. And it's just a lot easier, at least I find sometimes, to have that book, have it open on your bench, as Doug had mentioned. And that's on the modeling side. On the reference side too, I think it's important to acknowledge that some reference books are the true source of information. I know in the day of the internet, everything can be found online, but a lot of the technical details, you know, the minutia, the rivet counting, a lot of that can only still be found in books. And a lot of the books, you know, if they're out of print, as as mentioned before, Duel in the Mist, I'm lucky enough to have a copy. And then The Son of Sherman is a great example where, yeah, there's great Sherman minutia pages, but to cover what it covers, that's the only game in town. And Honeycutt's book is more about kind of the the vehicle history as opposed to the minutia. Yeah, sometimes you can't replace that uh, in the digital world. So I, I guess we're talking about two things: the access of information and the the in uh, how you like to absorb it, whether in print or or digital. Now that said, I'll I'll you know swing back the pendulum the other way and go. I love digital when I'm traveling. I'll have pocket mags open on on my phone, either in a flight, uh, in the back of an Uber. I waited for Thai food today and I pulled open and looked at the latest issue of AFE Modeler. So I think there's a world where both uh, it can exist, but I think it's very important, at least from a mag perspective. And it's, you know, Grant, this is a really great point that I, I hope we can talk a lot about more, a little foreshadowing for our guest that we're going to be interviewing soon is David Grummet from Military Modelcraft International. And he's the editor there, which is, which is the number one magazine in the world, I believe, for you know, model military scale modeling that is, and really curious to get his perspective because I think the dynamics changing based on the uh, just the demographics and the different mediums in which information can be consumed. So, very interesting topic for me. I can I can go on both sides, and I I, I hope that both sides can flourish. To be honest, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, like you say, we it, it, it's changing. Everything changes. Downloading is a lot easier, a lot faster. It's easier for, I don't know if it's easier or not, but I think it would might be a little bit easier for a publisher to put out a digital book than it would be a hardcover book or whatever like that. You, you know, you guys brought up some really, really good points, you know, and, and I think you said earlier, JB actually stuck out in my mind before this was that you talked about Spencer Pollard 
icon in the hobby. You know, he has been putting out stuff on books for a long time and still to this day does. And, you know, he came from both realms, I think. You know, that's another thing you have to think about, too, is how is this all going to affect everything going forward? Uh, yeah, but he's but he's been transitioning to digital yeah. now. Yeah, he um, is transitioning yeah. to digital. I will give you that, too. And, you know, I it's hard you know it's really hard to, and i really do wish jensen was on this because i would like to have gotten a younger person's idea on this whole concept everybody out there in in, in in the posse tell me what you think tell us what you think about this do you like digital do you like hardcover books whatever you know and i also think you know one thing that was brought up by jb is some books you that give you the specific of the vehicle and i always think about you know son of sherman's good one but also there's that t34 book the red one i can't remember the name of it to save my life right now that book is i've seen that book and that is a massive book of nothing but reference material um and then you don't get that i'll guarantee you don't get that information all of that information online you know is it good bad is there a world in between you know we're going to see both or we're going to lose one who knows but you know like i said i would like to hear from you guys outside in the posse what do you do what do you think we have a lot of people that travel we have a lot of pilots that are part of the posse what do you think we have a lot of people that work all kinds of look at you know tj travels four days a week on the road down in north carolina from his home so you know he's away a lot what do you, what, what what does he do what does uh martin do you know what do they do? how do you think about this what about what about uh the kind of the best of both words worlds where you look something up digitally and then print it out for your yeah. use. I'm thinking specifically of when Scott made his, uh, in his uh, Slave One, mm-hmm. when he printed out like reference photos, they weren't super high resolution. He printed them out big and he had them on the wall above his, right. his model bench yeah. and was using those as a template to paint from. Yeah, that's that's exactly. You know, there's also people that like, I know scratch builders that do the same thing. They'll take they'll get plans of the actual whatever they're building, aircraft tank like that. Put the blueprints, get them to the whatever scale they wanted to, tape it to their desk and build the pieces to that template as they're building along. You know, there's things like that too. It's it's a hybrid world. Again, you know, thanks for everybody. I really do appreciate this. Uh, kind of a topic offhand, but you know, I, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Like I said, please let us know what you think. Yeah, thanks, Grant. It was a good topic and interesting to hear everybody's uh, responses. All right, here is that bonus interview with Zach Pease, one of our deputy marshals. Zach is a longtime supporter of the Plastic Posse. He talks about his modeling influences and what he likes to do. I think you're going to really enjoy it. So here is that interview. I am happy to bring you a special interview with a really close friend of the podcast, a listener that has been around since day one. We have Zach Pease in the house. How are you today, Zach? I'm doing great, John. Great to be here. (laughs) Awesome. So in addition to myself, we have Scott from the Triple P. How are you today, Scott? Doing good. Welcome to the show, Zach. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So I asked Zach on because a lot of the engagement that you've been doing with our group builds and on our page has been really just positive inspirational, and then also motivating. And I thought it'd be great to have you on, talk to our listeners, learn it a little bit about yourself, learn about your modeling, maybe a little personal life, and then, you know, what what what's ahead of you as well in terms of the hobby. So taking a step back all the way to the beginning, could you tell our listeners a little about yourself? Uh, yeah. Jeez, in terms of modeling, I, you know, I think it's the same old story. I've been doing it forever. Uh, I, I started when I was a kid. I think I did my first model. Well, I didn't do it. I, 
I started with my dad. He bought me a mo- uh, the old Ravel Terpets. I was sick, and I think he wanted me to complain less. <laughs> so he came home with the Ravel Terpets, box scale Terpets, and we put it together at the kitchen table. And that led to each Christmas, I would get a new ship kit, and I'd uh, I'd you know build it in an hour and a half. Um, and it was all the old box scale Arizona box scale Lionfish Ward. You know the old classic Ravel ship kits and. That's awesome. I want to quick jump in. You know, some of our listeners, maybe the younger ones like Jackson and Zach, could you tell us what box scale is? Oh, it was it was just whatever fit in the box. <laughs> they designed the box before they designed the kit. <laughs> and you know, I think that that progressed into doing some airplanes, and that was old Airfix. Uh, I think I did an, the old Airfix. Um, I think it was Airfix. It was a Blenheim, and I did. Uh, the one I always remember is I did the old uh, Ravel or monogram uh, P39, and I wanted to attach the the drop tank and the bomb, so I just glued the bomb further back on the fuselage. <laughs> 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 I remember, I distinctly remember, I started to take things a little more seriously, not not like I do these days, of course, but you know, like I bought, I was in an old magazine stand in our local mall, and I picked up a copy of a fine scale modeler. It was one of the World War II anniversary issues. It was the first time I'd ever read anything about modeling. I mean, because it was just something I'd done at my homework desk or the kitchen table. But I was reading an article about how they were improving the old Ravel 32nd scale P40 and what a crappy kit it was. And I was like, oh, I always thought that was a really good kit. <laughs> <laughs> and I started looking and I was, I got, I, I it led to a subscription to Fine Scale Modeler and, uh, you know, my dream back then was I, I wanted to be in the reader's gallery. and But, but I mean, that was the first time I started building my skills was I was starting to read Fine Scale Modeler. I was starting to try and scratch build some stuff. I remember I cut up an old, it was a the old Ravel B-52, the 72nd scale one, because they, they had an article about how to build a bomb bay for B-52. So I was going to throw out the plate that was in the bottom of that B-52 and build out the bomb bay. And I, I think I did, but I think um, the whole project fell down because I... I failed miserably to spray the uh, the Aztec uh, the, the Model Master paints through my Aztec airbrush. They just glopped up, and it was a mess. So, <laughs> so I went like that for a while through high school building. You know, I, I built a lot of hobbycraft, a lot of Ravel, a lot of Airfix, and then same old story. Late high school, going into college, I, I just fell away from it. I think I went back for a little while right at the end of college. On a whim, I bought the old Tamiya. Uh, T-34 in 35th scale and built a North Korean version uh, because I worked in college. I interned with a group called the Cold War International History Project, and we were doing primary source uh, research on the Cold War. It was an awesome internship. I got to meet policymakers and and, and, and spies and stuff from the Cold War. It was really cool. Uh, re- read primary source documents from beyond the, beyond the Iron Curtain. We did a big conference on the war in Afghanistan, and uh, we, we brought in Anatoly Chernayev, who was a uh, one of the Gorbachev's foreign policy advisors to talk about the war. And we had a whole bunch of uh, CIA, a DOD. I think we had an MI6 guy, a former Mujahideen, all sitting around a table talking about the war for, for two days. It was really cool. We were the interns. We were making a lot of the calls. And um, we were supposed to get this guy. He'd written a foreign policy uh, journal article about the U.S. and Afghanistan in the 80s. He had been CIA station chief or something like that. We're trying to get him to come. And one of the interns calls the number we have for him and they start off with like, who is this? How did you get this number? What are you, what are you, what are you looking for? He says, well, <laughs> we just want to get 
you know, Mr. This guy to come to our conference. And the person on the other end of the phone, like no joke says, I can neither conform to deny his existence and hangs up the phone. (laughs) (laughs) And later that day, the guy calls us in the, in the office and says, Hey, I heard you guys were looking for me. (laughs) (laughs) So, so it was a great experience. It was a lot of fun. So I, so I built that T-34 for the office before I left. Then I didn't come back to modeling right away. When I did start to come back after college, I um, I remembered the ship kits that I used to do, and I wanted to do ships. And so I got into doing like 700 scale resin ships. And wow, I was in over my head because I hadn't modeled in a while, and I really hadn't ever modeled that complexly. And PE railings in 700 scale were, were not as much fun as I'd hoped they would be. <laughs> So, but I participated on um, the old steelnavy.com and modelwarships.com for a while and, and posted some stuff up and, and made some friends. And um, also because I was only a recently graduated college student and I had like no money and ship kits, it turned out were pretty expensive. So I sort of drifted away from it for a little while again and then came back to it serious probably around about when I got married in 2011. And then I've been going at it ever since. And my big thing has just been, you know, I like aviation and that's what got, you know, aside from building the ship kits, what really fueled modeling for me was I've always loved aviation and history. I was a huge history buff as a kid. You know, I think my dad gave me his old copy from the old landmark books of uh, the rise and fall Adolf Hitler when I was like, I don't know, like second or third grade. And I thought that was just great. Like my friends were reading Tom Hardy and I'm reading the rise and fall Adolf Hitler. (laughs) You're not alone there. (laughs) (laughs) So my second grade teacher refused to believe that I was reading it. And I was like, I am. (laughs) So I finally came back around to the, uh, to aviation modeling. And and that was what I went really, uh, really heavily into. And I got involved with uh, modelingmadness.com. And I think I wrote a few articles for them. And I was, I was actually looking at them the other day and I was like, wow, I thought I was really good back then, but I, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. I think I, I wrote an article for them to, about the uh, the old Mach 2 X24B. I mean, oh, gosh. I, I would give that kit to my worst enemy. <laughs> I, and I asked for that kit for Christmas from my folks because my uh, my plan used to be if it, was too, if it was too expensive for me to buy, I would ask for it for Christmas. So it was an expensive kit because it was Mach 2, and they probably only made like seven of them. And uh, I remember I opened the box, and it had the X24A and the X24B in it. But there was no way you could build both of them from the quality of the parts because I remember one of the landing gear wells, it was injection molded, but there was just it was just filled with plastic. <laughs> it was solid. I ended up scratch building some some landing gear wells and I this the the interior was useless. I, I did some minor scratch building on that. I had some leftover PE from like a um I think it was a Hasegawa F fourteen and I was like, whatever, I just want it to look like a cockpit. And I got a resin seat from a F-101 and put it in there because I knew the X-24 had a Weber seat and so did the F-101. So I put it together. It looked pretty good considering what I started with. But I was—I remember I was almost done with it. And uh, I set it down to let the landing gear dry on top of a bottle of Model Master Chrome Silver that I didn't realize I had left open. So then I got a big silver ring on the bottom of it. So, so a few repaints later, I was done with it. I wrote up an article for Modeling Madness and thought it was great. And then I think I, I modeled for a while. I, I did a big project right after I was married. I did this um, I did this Atelieri MH60. I did it like right after they got Bin Laden because I was inspired. And I'd always sort of liked uh, 160th Soar. And I said, I want to build, I want to build a, a 
a special ops Blackhawk, and I got that, and I got the Cobra, the Cobra Company resin set for it, and really went to town on it, and it came out pretty good. It's dusty and old now, but uh, that was that was maybe the first kit that I really, really went to town on. Sounds like maybe uh, that was your level up build in your yeah. progression. Yeah, I think that was. I mean, I've probably had some since, but that was my first big one. I cut the nose off. I cut the. I scratch built the roof. I scratch built a uh, a fast rope system in there. I put some stowage in there. I got mini guns for the doors because the Italy only gave you M60s. So it was it was a heck of a project, and I had a lot of fun doing it. And I think I I remember I posted it up on um at at that time I was I was participating over on or aircraft resource center. Uh, arc, I, yep. Yeah, Arc. I was part of their forum for a while. Yeah, so that then I did that, and that was a lot of fun. And I sort of started taking it seriously. And run run about when my daughter was born, I discovered Matt McDougall's blog. I was like, oh man, I like what this guy builds. I found out about black basing, and I thought that was great because I've always, ever since I was putzing around with this in high school, I wanted to be able to weather. But back then. I wasn't very good at it. I mean, I slapped a bunch of, I had some uh, pastel crayons and I would grind them up and just rub them all over my models and be like, it's weathered. <laughs> the black basing, I said, yeah, that's cool. I want to do that. And I started sort of playing at it. And I think I did my last article. I did three for, for Modeling Madness. I did the, uh, the Zukimura P51 and I did it in Salvadoran markings. I thought I was black basing it, but I, I didn't have the whole thin layers thing down yet. So... Uh, but that was the first time I tried it. Re- really, once I discovered Dukes, I started to be like, "Wow, I I th- I could be better at this. I could I could keep working at this and get better at it." And I joined SMCG soon after that. It's all it all blends together. It was either like 2016 or 18 that I joined SMCG and and started you know kind of looking at the builds there and and deciding where where I wanted to go with this. And I think you know that that gets me almost up today. I, you know, it was weird. Everybody in the pandemic said, oh, I, they got so much work done. I think I got, I, I didn't build anything in 2020 that I finished because I actually went through a period and while it wasn't SMCG's fault, you know, it was because I, I was looking at all these really good builds and I was like, I can do better. I can do better. And I got stuck in this, um, this like cycle of playing with paint mules and trying to make this technique better and that technique better. And I just wasn't finishing anything. And finally, I just had to walk away and, and say like, I, I got to. I got to just build something simple and, and just finish it. And I, the beginning in uh, 2021, I started to finish some stuff. And that was when I did my, uh, my Lanchester armored car that, that I kind of considered my weathering level up build. Cause that was the first time sort of all my weathering ideas kind of came together in, in, in one cohesive idea. It looked the way I wanted it to. And I didn't stop in SMCG. I just sort of stepped back and said, okay, these guys are good and, and I want to be good. And, and, you know, I got to just not worry so much about how it comes out. Cause if I finish stuff, I'll get better as I go. I've gone on from then. And uh, you know, I think I went through a period where you looked online and everybody was, you know, in all the different groups, you would get people who would, who, who were negative on builds and, 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 you know, they, they were trying to give critique, but they weren't always the best at it. And I said, you know, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be positive. I want to be, I want to get better and I want critique, but I also just want to be positive. And, and, you know, and when you guys started up, I thought these guys are cool. They're positive about the hobby. They're excited, you know, listen to them and have fun. And, and when I started participating in your group builds and, 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 and the website, uh, the Facebook group, I just said, it's positive. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. And, and that's sort of just how I got here. Well, we're certainly happy to, to help you along the way. I'd love to go back and talk about, you know, that instant, and I think a lot of modelers have experienced it. Certainly I have when you're almost overwhelmed with being exposed 
to mm. new techniques, you know, new kits even. And you hold yourself to a higher standard that, dare I say, isn't achievable right away. And yeah. it's this like, it's almost anal- you know, analysis paralysis where you just get caught up in the moment. And I've certainly experienced that. And it's, it's really interesting to hear you talk about it. And maybe to go back, you know, talk about what, what was that first build that kind of brought you out of it? What was that slammer build that, you know what, I'm going to get this done and I'm going to go forward. I really think it was that Lanchester armored car because it was something different. I had wanted to do armor before, but I would always start an armor kit and then not finish it. I think I at one point right after I was married, I uh, so it was 2012 or, or so, I built the old Tamiya Chieftain and I finished it. But I think I brush painted it and it was just something I did for fun. And I, I had never done a serious armor build. So I, I picked up the Lanchester because it was kind of cool. I had lived in Russia when I was in college. So I've always been interested in Russian history. I focused on Eastern Europe in college. So Russian subjects were cool. So I got the Russian Lanchester and I was like, like it's different. It's not an airplane. It's something I can just build. And I, I didn't worry about accuracy because A, I figured that Copper State put together a pretty good package and and B, I just wanted to finish something. So I didn't want to get caught up in all that. I knew there wasn't going to be a ton of web references on it because it's a World War One armored car from the Russian front. So the chances of there being a lot of photo references that were going to stop me in my tracks were pretty slim. And so I just said, all right, this thing's operating in the steppes of Russia in 1916. It's probably got rained on. It probably had mud. And I went from there and I said, you know, what do I think this would look like? And I just had I just had fun with it. I, you know, I, I said I want it to be green. I want it to be faded. I I grabbed the uh, the 1930s protective green and said, all right, this is what I'm going to use for it. It's a little later than than the vehicle, but it, it seemed right, so I used it and I just did it. And I went to town on it and had fun, and and that got me through it. I mean, and and I'm a like I said, I'm a huge history buff, so it was kind of hard for me to say I wasn't going to do a lot of references. And I think since that build, I have been a little careful about what I really look for in references. Like I want to know about my subjects, but sometimes I find it's a real balance about knowing about my subject and knowing too much about my subject. Cause there's two subjects that I have trouble getting through every time I pick one up and that's P-51s and F-14s because for whatever reason over the years, I've learned a lot about both of those aircraft and I get stuck on what markings I want to do, or I'll choose a marking and decide that the kit doesn't have everything I need. Because uh, the F-14 I really want to do is the uh, the VF-1 Wolfpack from the 1975 cruise that flew mid-cap for the uh, evacuation of Saigon, which means getting the early beaver tail, which I now have because Phase Hanger did one in resin. But for years, it was like, I want to do this, and I don't. I don't feel like I have the skills to fully cut up the old Hasegawa kit and make the make the early beaver tail. And I think Hasegawa had an issue of it, but, you know, you couldn't get it for anything less than the mortgage on my house. So, you know, I would just get caught up in that. It's funny because it, it really is. I mean, I've had reference photos that will just stop me and, like, stop a build and I'll go, oh, I can't do this. I got I to gotta figure out how to do this because this is how it was. Uh, one of the things that stopped me on P-51s for a while was – the the puttied wings. I said, oh, I want to I want to putty my wings. Either either one of two things would happen. Either I would I would fill in all the panel lines on the wings, and I think the first time I did it, my sanding discipline wasn't that great, and I obliterated the aileron hinges on the outer wings. And uh, I was like, I don't want to be bothered to recreate those. So that killed that project. And then I uh, I think I did it once, and I got it just the way I wanted it. 
and the primer layer reactivated the putty and all my seams, all my panel lines came back. I think that P51 flew across the room and I didn't build P51s for about a year after that. I just said, I got to, I got to take a break from P51s. I mean, I have a whole drawer full of P51 decals and different scales because I like the P51. I like a lot of the, especially the later schemes. I'm sure anybody who's been watching my builds online says, man, he picks esoteric subjects. And, and I do. I probably, I mean, I don't think they're that esoteric, but I like my likes of history a lot of times. And, and my involvement with the Cold War means I like a lot of the little conflicts that happened after World War II. As fascinated as I am as, of, with World War II, I'm always interested in those little things that, that World War II essentially wrought afterwards. The world that World War II created, the small conflicts that came after. I did my undergraduate thesis on um, the French War in Indochina, specifically about how the U.S. looked at potentially using nuclear weapons to relieve the French garrison at Dien Bien Phu. Uh, it was seriously looked at. And my, I did some research in the National Archives, and I actually found a document where um, I think it was uh, Ridgeway was saying, if we're going to look at intervening in, in Indochina with nuclear weapons, then Dien Bien Phu isn't the place to do it. The source of Viet Minh power is communist China. And he was basically advocating nuclear strikes on the supply bases in communist China in about 1954. It was one of those uh, documents you run into where you're like, oh, that was talked about. As I've gone and re read about these small conflicts, that's the stuff I want to model. So you know, I get a spitfire from Palestine in 1948. I just finished a uh, Sherman from uh, Uganda in 1978. And that's just where my mind runs. And so the P-51s I want to build are Latin American P-51s and Air Guard and Korea, wherever you find them after the war. Earlier this year, I finished my Cuban P-47, and this is, this is where my subjects run. Yeah, that you mentioned a couple builds there I'd like to double-click on. You know, one of them we'll just start off with is the P-47, the Cuban one. I was looking at that, you know, right when you posted it, and, and I've gone back to it. You know, it's it's a great-looking model, and I, and I love what you said, you know, esoteric subjects, that uniqueness where at a show or even online, the repetitiveness of of that is not out there. I guess what I'm trying to say is you won't find something like it. You're going to have likely the only Cuban P47 and certainly the only Ugandan Sherman out there. <laughs> I think that's the only one I've ever seen built. I didn't even know the Ugandans use Shermans until you came into the group. And that's what I loved about it is you, you know, you not only created an awesome model, but also shared the historical aspect of some of those lesser known nations that have operated these vehicles. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've always just found that fun. You know, I, I love Chuck Yeager's P-51 as much as anybody else. I mean, or, or a Jolly Rogers F-14. They're cool. But, you know, I think I, I somewhere a long time ago, I said something about the 356 fighter group being overdone and someone laughed at me and said, oh, overdone. No, yeah, super important fighter group. And I'm like, yeah, they're great and they're cool. And those, the, the orange and yellow check noses look awesome. But there's so many other interesting subjects out there. And there's a lot of good stories to be told from, from these, you know, more esoteric places that you can find subjects. The other subject I get caught up on is the uh, Invader, the A26. I went on a serious hunt to try and figure out how to do a uh, an accurate Invader firebomber, a force, force firebomber. And uh, the problem is they have dual controls, trying to get all the parts together in one box to do... Uh, a dual control invader with the early engines, not the counter invader engines is a challenge. So I've never quite got there, but the invaders, uh, another, another rabbit hole I'll go down. And at one point I got really interested in the invaders that were uh, used by the Portuguese in the seventies in Angola. They actually ended up being abandoned there. They, they replaced their F 84s. 
that were wearing out in Angola with invaders because it was the only planes they could buy. There was an embargo because of Salazar's government. So no one was selling them new arms in, except for their NATO commitments. And they weren't allowed to use any of the NATO stuff in their empire. So they ended up buying these v- invaders from either other other nations who were still operating the invader or on the private market. And they were figuring out how to get around the export restrictions to get them into Angola. And it involved some mercenary pilots. And it's just fascinating. And then I ran into the fact that uh, Jan Zumbach, who was a Spitfire ace in World War II, uh, went through some of the same machinations to get invaders into Biafra in about 1967. Uh, and then he flew a converted uh, French RB26C, where they, they modified the old, the radar nose from the French RB66. The guy in the nose had a 50 cal and Zumbach would just pull on a rope that was tied to the guy's arm on a strafing run. And that's when he would, that's when he would depress the triggers on the 50 cal. <laughs> Man, the ingenuity, it, you know, it, it's really fascinating. This sounds a lot like when Israel was first established and they were trying to buy aircraft for their air force and nobody wanted to sell them aircraft. And, you know, they had pilots going around the world and almost stealing aircraft, you know, they pay for them, but they'd have to sneak them out of the country, bring them back to Israel. So that's pretty fascinating stuff, Zach. Yeah, it's just it's just fun little rabbit holes to go down. I'm that kind of history nerd. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I again, I I love that little aspect of of your modeling. Not only you know the finished result, but the personal stories that you've discovered in them. It's just really cool. And like you said, you don't see that every day. It's just really cool to hear that. Let's let's look forward with all these esoteric subjects. You know what, what's next on your list? What what do you think is is gonna you know you just finished the Ugandan M4. So mm-hmm. what's next? I don't know. I I was looking through my stash and and wondering what I was going to do next. I've been having a lot of fun this year because I'm I'm finishing projects. I think I finished the the Ugandan M4 is number five for this year, and I think I finished five in total last year. So that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's been great. So I don't know. I mean, I have some armor projects that I think uh, are fun that are kind of waiting in the wings. I have a I have an Academy M1 I was going to do as one of the M1s. That's in Poland right now. It's uh, it's got the crows system. I I like the ones that are in Poland because a lot of the pictures you find have them uh, in the uh, in the cart green, but it's it's all banged up, and you can see the desert tan underneath. Uh, and some of them have the desert tan road wheels and the green uppers, and I think they just offer a lot of interest. So it's funny you mention that. I've had that exact kind of M1 in my mind since I saw probably the pics two or three years ago of them at Hohensfels in Germany mm-hmm. where they were doing training and they have that cart green. It's like that really bright green over the desert tan. And then even some of them had the white kind of whitewash stripes yeah. on the side skirts. And I thought that was like, you know, I've never been super interested in the M1, but that's what draws me to certain subjects. Probably just like you is those unique paint schemes that are hard to come by essentially for such a common vehicle. Yeah. I mean, I like the M1 as a tank. I think it's, I've always thought it was really cool, but Desert tan didn't excite me. You know, as cool as the M1s with all the the busk systems for urban warfare looks so cool. But I was like, but I don't want to, I was stuck on desert tan and dust. It didn't interest me that much. So when I found the the pictures of the, the Europe deployed formerly desert M1s, I was like, now that's cool. So, so I've got that waiting in the wings. I've got an invader. I've got the I've got the Tamiya M4 that's kind of, not M4, the Tamiya F, the new F4 that's that's uh, sitting over there. And I got a nice, unique uh, decal option for that. I, I'm going to do it as the F4G 
which is distinct from the G that came later for the Air Force. The original Navy F-4G had the auto landing system that would eventually go into the J. There were one or two squadrons that actually had them in a uh, in a camouflage scheme, not go gray and white. It's all green camouflage with a smaller insignia like you would find on um, U.S. Air Force aircraft in the C scheme. So I thought that would be cool to do sort of a different, other than uh, go gray and white, uh, F-4 Phantom. So that's kind of sitting out there. I don't know. I I have some I have some time away from home coming up because I, I just changed jobs. I'm going to have to be out in Buffalo for about four weeks to um to do some training. There's a great hobby shop in Buffalo. Section okay. Eight Hobbies. Go to it. One of the best on the East Coast. Justin, the owner, super nice guy, super easy location to get to. There's a great pub down the street, so definitely check out Section Eight Hobbies. They have a full full stock of every paint you can imagine kits that are, you know, well-sourced and they even have, I think, you know, a collection area where you can get good deals. And also the periodicals bottom line is they're really, really good. Highly recommended. If you're stuck in Buffalo, definitely hit that up and then check out the boat museums as well. I'll be sure to check that out with that in mind though. I I think I might actually try. I never thought I'd say this. I might actually try a figure because I'm going to have to find something to occupy myself in a hotel room for a few nights. So maybe I'll give a figure a shot and see how that goes. Another, another suggestion besides like uh, painting a figure is grab yourself a Bandai, Bandai Star Wars kit or a Gundam. Those uh, tend to lend themselves to hotel building pretty well. Yeah. While I was doing that Star Wars LAAT, I mostly built a Bandai X-Wing because I was um, stoked for Star Wars. Uh, And I led to me buying another Resistance X-Wing. So yeah, I had thought about taking that too. Yeah, going back to your Star Wars build, I I absolutely love that Legion's Imperial TIE Fighter looking thing. I forget the acronym you just mentioned, but you did a really nice job on that. Yeah, I I had a blast on that. It was a really nice kit. I mean, it was better than I expected. Maybe because I didn't know what to expect because I'd never done a wargaming kit ever. And... You know, it was thanks to you guys. I even knew about it because I think John Bias came on the show and talked about it. And then I ended up going over and watching John Bias's build videos on it and said, yeah, it looks like fun. I like Star Wars and that's a little different. And and honestly, some of the Bandai stuff's been hard to find lately. So I, I grabbed that and just uh, it was a blast. It was a really fun kit. Another good uh, reference is uh, check out Enrique's uh, The Race for Terra channel over on mm-hmm. YouTube. He does a lot of Star Wars Legion and uh, it's really, really great. He's he's kind of, uh, you know, sort of half armor, half sci-fi. He, he does a great job. It's an awesome channel. Check it out. Yeah, I'll check that out. I, I remember when he was on the show, too, because he built one of my... Uh... One of my subjects, I just ordered the um, the War Slugs Rolls-Royce armored car because I want to do an Irish armored car, kind of like the one Enrique did. So Yeah, that's that's awesome. Going back, those Legion kits are great. I have a couple of them. Scott's built them. And like you said, it, it's kind of like John Bias turned it on to us. And then we've, we've certainly spent a lot of our money on them because they're just fun. And like you, I had no idea what to expect and genuinely was surprised at the quality of the kit. And it's honestly kind of inspired me to play the game at some point too, because it's it's just really cool. Yeah, like they, I think they do that um, that occupier tank from Rogue One. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of really want to pick one of those up because that seems like it might be a lot of fun. That was my first one I bought. I actually bought it with Scott when he came and visited the first time at Colpar, and you should get it because there's like seven parts in it, and it comes mm-hmm. practically pre-built, and you can paint it and 
go to town. And I believe Enrique built one as well, Scott. There's one on his channel that's really well done. Yeah, he did. It was a really great build. And um, Zach, I don't know if you remember, but we did that 48 and 48 group build. Mm-hmm. And both John and I did Legion kits for that. Man, it was awesome. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I'll probably be doing more because that was that was just a lot of fun. And, and they offer some subjects you can't find elsewhere. So. so Zach, you know, maybe let's take a turn. We've talked about you know, the models that you enjoy building, those esoteric subjects. And you hinted on it a little bit. When you think about skill modeling, when you want to grow, when you want to advance your, you know, skill set and techniques, you know, where do you draw inspiration from? Who who are those people that you're constantly kind of looking at, seeing what they're doing and like, just, just feeling like maybe you should try to pull it off. I mean, I think the first one, and I hinted at it was, was Matt McDougall, because he, he was one of the first people who drew me into his YouTube channel and blog. And I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to do that. I don't, remember, I don't remember which build that was. I started picking him up on, but I like his Corsair build. I loved and his, uh, his P40, his French P47 build was great. Um, and, and everything I've liked everything he's done. So I, I always look at him for some inspiration. And then, you know, there's a lot of places I go. I like I like to LPJ models and James can. I always look at his stuff and that's pretty inspiring. Also, it always comes out of my reading. I'm a big reader. I'm a big history reader. So I'll, I'll, I'll pick up a snippet of something and go, oh, yeah, that, that'd be really cool. That'd be really cool to do that. And I'll start looking for photos and, and seeing if I can. Because while I try to limit my, my 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 references to a certain extent, I want to see if I can find some photos out there so I can get some sense of, of what these things look like, either in theater or just in general. You know, it's funny. I was listening to uh, your last episode yesterday, and um, they, they were, you guys were talking about a, a Peshmerga Humvee with a DSHK. And I was like, that, that sounds cool. I think I'm, that, that's something I might want to look at doing because just that takes it out of your standard Humvee and, and makes it a little more fun. And I was searching on that earlier today and I found that there were some Peshmerga ones with Dashushkas, but also some Ukrainian ones. And, and that felt kind of cool too. So I look around and I think, you know, a lot of the armor modelers have given me a lot of inspiration on my, on my weathering skills. I always look, like looking at Adam Wilder's stuff, Mike Rinaldi's stuff. Uncle Night Shift, you know, all those guys have been inspirations at one time or another. If not for specific subjects, then in, then for, you know, how, how can I make things look cool and dirty like they do? <laughs> for sure. I mean, you've, you've mentioned all the people that I certainly look up to as well. And, you know, that's, it's just, there are some people that can really pull it off and, and have the power to influence and drive people. And, and those are the ones that you mentioned. I was going to just do the Tamiya M1 Super Sherman because a lot of the Ugandan M1s were VVSS suspension, like, and they were just Israeli M1 Super Shermans. But they had some other M1s that had the HVSS, and I said, wow, you know, that's that much cooler. So I ended up buying the M51 kit and just blending the two of them together and, and, and sort of ended up with it, so... <laughs> You mentioned some of your influences with your interest in history. I'm wondering, if, you know, have modelers more like uh, Steve Zaloga or Shep Payne who tend to really, you know, use the history of that vehicle to tie their builds to? Have they been a big influence on your work? I mean, I think Shep Payne probably was just as a motivation early on because buying the old monogram kits with the Shep Payne inserts and, and the like, for sure. I think I, I dreamed of doing uh, dioramas like Shep Payne, but in my adult modeling life, I've always shied away from figures because I'm sure I've posted it up on the group more than once that my figures look like refugees from a fire at Madame Tussauds. 
which is, might be an exaggeration, but I've never been really <laughs> confident in my figures. So, but yeah, I mean, I think that that if I if I ever had the eye that Shep Payne had to make a diorama, I'd I'd be head over heels. And you know, for whatever reason, I've always known about Steve Zaloga, and I think his models are great. But he hasn't been a huge influence on me. I mean, I love his work. I just I think he's just flown a little under the radar on the stuff I'm looking at because I I I have at different times been into World War II and then into the Cold War and. And I think at the times I was in a World War II, I just wasn't looking at Steve Zaloga's stuff uh, for whatever reason. Yeah, it's interesting. He'll he'll take vehicles that aren't usually available in a, in a standard injection molded kit, or he'll take a variant, you know, that requires a conversion. But yeah, and I think a lot of his builds he does just as uh, photo material for the covers of his books. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, when we talked to him, he kind of indicated that he, he he love you know he'll do like a duplex drive Sherman or or whatever you know French subjects or you know back before they were kind of more cool. You know, a lot of obscure your Russian Russian subjects, but yeah, mm-hmm. I've always thought that he was, you know, really into the sort of the research that leads to the scale model approach. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a lot of my modeling is, I don't know, how do I want to say it? I think it's 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 atmospheric. I get interested in something, and then I sort of want to have a tangible piece of it. Uh, sort of like my my MH60 build I was talking about. I I, I had always I had read. Black Hawk Down and then seeing the movie and then when when the Bin Laden capture came in, I sort of was just re-engaged with being interested in the 160th soar and I said, I, I want to have a piece of that. I, I want to build it. I want to, I want to, it was how I became familiar uh, with the subject sort of. And that was how I, how I engaged with some of my love of history is I just, I, I get interested in a period and then I want to engage with it. So then I choose a subject and that's sort of just how I've always gone about it. One of the reasons I wanted to do the B-52 back in the day was because I was always fascinated by the nuclear forces. I mean, both because they had a lot of cool airplanes and because they were sort of terrifying in their power. It just always fascinated me. And so I wanted to build a B-52 because I wanted to have a, a piece of sack right there in my, you know, hanging from my ceiling. You know, that's just, it's how my head works for history and for for modeling. No, I, I I think you're really echoing how a lot of people feel about it, and certainly it's uh yeah it that that's just how it works sometimes. Let's let's talk about looking forward again. One of the questions we love to ask people is what is what is your magnum opus project, and you know what's that project that you've had in your mind that you want to pull off someday? It could be a vehicle, it could be a diorama, but you know, tell us what that is for you, Zach. You know, it's funny because I think uh, someone is doing it right now, and it's been probably my magnum opus since Edward released the kit uh, in the 90s. And that, I, I think, is it Tony Bell who's doing the B-29 Mothership and X-1, I think, over on SMCG? Yeah, I believe you are right. Yep. That that has always been a build I wanted to do, was to take the monogram B-29, modify it into the Mothership for the... Mach 1 flight for the X-1. Because growing up, there was, and I'm, it's still my, one of my favorite movies, was The Right Stuff. You know, even now, my my daughter, who's six, is super into space and aviation. And I've been trying to get her to ask me for a stick of Beeman's. <laughs> I was just going to say, you got to have your Beeman's ready. <laughs> and she looks at me and she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, so I think, you know, I really want to do that, and I've never quite got to the point where I feel like I want to start cutting up that big monogram B-29. Rescribing. Yeah, and, and finding the decals and or the masks and getting that thing done. because Natural that, metal. Whew. 
Yeah. And more than just doing the B-29 and the mothership, I kind of would love to do like an airfield diorama where the X-1 is in that depression. You yeah, yeah, the pit, yeah, exactly. Uh, and them loading it in. And I think that would be awesome. And, you know, maybe on the same level would be, and this is just totally pie in the sky, because if I could get the, uh, is it HPH who does the 48 scale B-52? Yeah. And do an X-15 with that would be Two awesome. Balls eight. <laughs> wow, that would, that would be amazing. <laughs> but I would need to put an addition on my house to do that. <laughs> yeah, you might need to bring, uh, drain some of those uh, kids' college funds for that B-52 kit, too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and while my wife is totally supportive of my hobbies, I don't know that she'd be all that excited for that B-52 kit <laughs> price tag. <laughs> Yeah, you know, even the monogram one, I, I can maybe think of maybe once seeing it built with the X-15. It's it's not a common subject because it is, you know, Balls 8 has, you know, that natural metal white finish. Yeah. You, you know, essentially it's two kits in one. And then I don't even know the monogram kit. I The wings are the anhedral dihedral, I think, is wrong on it. That you kind of, it's, it, it was it molded in flight? I think it to, was. And yeah. you have to cut them and make them droop, essentially, a little bit more realistically. So. Yeah. It's certainly not an easy build, but I actually have that monogram kit. It was part of my dad's collection. That that's one of them I kept because the box art just sings to you. You know, the B fifty two is coming at you with the X fifteen on the wing. It's just such a unique subject, and like you said, it'd be cool to not only have the twenty nine with with Bell with the X one, but also Balls eight with uh, the X fifteen. I think that would just be a good duo. You'd probably have to take over. You know, wait until your kids move out to college, then you can have your own like uh, display room museum in there bedroom but uh yeah <laughs> you know that's it's it's such a unique subject that flight test isn't often represented at shows and goes back to your esoteric subjects that you know and love yeah i mean and, and flight test is something i've always been fascinated with and it's that's just another rabbit hole of like real space and flight test and the the kits in that realm are not always that great that monogram b52 is a classic kit and it's it was great in its day but to bring it up to modern standards is is just it's a lot of work tons of work um and, and that goes for a lot of the x15 kits and i gave up the uh, i had the uh 32nd scale special hobby X15-1 with the two XLR-11 engines. Yeah. And then I bought the X15-A2 because my intention was that I was going to blend the two together to get an X an X15-1 with the XLR-99. But that was another one where I just, I had, I had reference overload. I had, I had the, the hypersonic, which if you ever reading about the X15, it's a, the best book out there. And I mean, I was looking up which flight I was going to build and what experiments it was carrying and how I was going to get there. And I just said, I'm never going to get through this build because I can't even decide, you know, do I want to do an uh, Neil Armstrong flight? Do I want to do a Scott Crossfield flight? Or, oh, oh, this this Bob Rushworth flight went into space. I want to do that one. Like, oh man, I just got, I got so mired in my references. So I, I have the special hobby 48 scale X15 A2 in the closet and I'll get it built, but it's another one where I'm going to have to turn my mind off a little bit because <laughs> I love flight test and I love real space. And it's just, I had the monogram space shuttle, the 144th scale one, which is 
not the best kit, but not, I mean, it's, you can work with it. And I had the idea that I was going to scratch build the mobile launch platform. I wasn't so ambitious that I was going to do the crawler. I was just going to do the mobile launch platform uh, in, in the hard down. And a lot of styrene later, I determined that I had bitten off a lot more than I could chew in my skill set at that time. But I, 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 that's another one that could be a magnum opus that I might circle back to someday is, is doing a space shuttle. Uh, I really would like to model a STS-1 because I've always been a big John Young and Bob Crippen fan. Speaking of space shuttles, you got to be following James Chung's space shuttle. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That That's amazing. Some amazing work. He's, he's scribing in all the tiles. He's a madman. <laughs> Oh yeah. It goes, I mean, it goes back to you. Like it's, it's a magnum opus project. It oh, is yeah. a, it's unbelievable. And the amount of information that he shares and very similar to yourself in a case where, you know, the history and the subject and the modeling kind of all, it's just, it's just a lot. And it's honestly, you could write a book on it, the space yeah. shuttle itself by the amount of research he's doing. James is a madman, but in all the best kind of ways, its work is uh, definitely pretty inspiring for sure after sort of after the projects that you have right now anything in the short term that you've defined enough that you can say you know these are going to be on the bench and and moving forward i think before the end of the year i'm going to tackle the new edward uh Spitfire 5C. I have their dual combo with the American Spitfires. So one of those is going to emerge, uh, though what I'm thinking I'm going to do with at least one of the kits is to do a Greek Air Force Spitfire from immediate post-war period, because there's a few neat markings you can do with those. I have, you know, randomly, I have the old, this old Italieri fire Jeep. That's that's not a great kit, but I just thought it would be fun to do it up as um, like a wildland firefighting Jeep. Uh, I got some generic fire, fire department decals to throw on it and I, I might just do that up before the year's out and just have it be something fun and civilian i never i never do much civilian stuff so you know the jeep's so cool but in 35th scale it's you know it's like that big so <laughs> i think in 16th scale would be a great scale to do one in so well scott any other questions that we should ask Zach? This has been a really great time getting to know you, Zach. And we really appreciate kind of the stories that you've shared, how you came into the hobby, what interests you in terms of esoteric subjects, showing us what inspires you today. And then ultimately, what are some of those cool magnum opus projects? And Yeah, I mean, Zach, I, w- I would just say you've been a great member of our posse community. You participated in our, our group builds and taken part in the group discussion. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say to the people out there in the posse i mean they're a great group it's been great to be involved with them and you guys have created that group and it's just been great i was looking for a real positive place to land and share my builds and it's just been great i've connected with a bunch of guys and i've i've been i'll be honest i haven't totally gotten used to people complimenting my builds in the way they have in recent recent builds because i still think of myself as just working on models and looking up to other other modelers so it's been great it's been a great group and i'm going to keep participating and and you know thank you guys for for creating it and for creating this podcast. And it's been great. It was great to listen to through the pandemic, sort of keep the mojo going and and just sort of have that place to go. And I appreciate that you get the spirit of where we're coming from. You know, there's a lot of places to be inspired on the internet and on social media. And there's a lot of places where, like you said, you can go get some feedback, you know, some of it a little bit more uh, constructive criticism based. You know, I think the main thing is uh, you got to remember we should be having a good time as well. And then improvement is great. Yeah, let's build each other up. There's enough out there in the world that, you know, where we can tear each other down. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been great. And then I'm flattered you guys had me on and I just come in and I do it. I I do it to zone out. I, I just went through a period of really 
tough work stress and it was just what I've been doing to, to chill out. So it's been fun to connect with everybody. So, and I think you can, you can improve and have a good time and be positive all at the same time. So for sure. So Zach, thank you again for taking the time to talk to us. It's been a great getting to know you. And again, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for being such a strong member of the community, sharing your work, being positive and just, you know, just contributing. I think that's the most important thing is being present, helping, helping build what, but you're, what you're a part of and, and that experience and positive atmosphere and a place where people can come and, and just have fun. So thank you again for, for all that you do. And we look forward to what comes next. Thanks. And thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. We've uh, had a lot of fun and uh, we'll talk with you soon. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks. Thank you. John, tell our listeners how they can uh, obtain some plastic posse merch. Yeah, thanks, Scott. So just a reminder to our friendly listeners, if you want to rep the posse at the show, at your local pub, at the hobby shop, you can check out our merch page. Many of you have already, and we are super thankful for it. You've picked up coffee mugs, t-shirts, jumpers, or even our official lounge trousers. You can order all of your stylish plastic posse merch on our website at plastic-posse-podcast.creator-spring.com. We'll have that in the show notes. Please rep it. If we see you at a show, we'll give you some swag with it on. So thank you all. All right. Thanks, JB. Thanks, everybody. Well, this has been another great episode. Uh, Just one more reminder about the 48 and 48 model officers birthday batch uh, online build for Models for Heroes running uh, the end of next weekend, March 10th, 11th and 12th. Uh, Please join us wherever you're at in the world. It's going to be rolling time zones. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, And if nothing else, it's just a a good excuse to hop on and build models for a couple of days. So uh, again, please join us. Please give if you can to Malcolm and his organization. They do amazing work and uh, it's a great cause. We want to thank all of you for listening to us. Thank you so much. Uh, You know, the feedback that we get, the numbers, uh, our, our Patreon supporters, you guys are just have put your 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 full support behind our show and and you tell us uh, what you think of our, of what we do and and we just we're very very grateful uh, to everybody out there in the posse we'll be back in two weeks with another episode remember you can send feedback on this episode or any other episode to plastic posse podcast at gmail.com doug loves to get feedback um you know autograph pictures all that stuff he, he he loves it if you haven't joined the plastic posse uh group page on Facebook, please head on over and join the group. We've got almost 4,000 members. The community just continues to grow. You're going to be able to interact with a lot of great modelers and a whole range of people from beginners to, to really, really excellent, excellent modelers. So I guess all that's left to say is uh, we'll see you all again in two weeks. And you know what they say, yeehaw! Before we close out tonight, I'd love to give a shout out to our Posse Outriders. If you would like to support the Triple P and become a Plastic Posse Outrider, go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Plastic Posse Podcast and set up a recurring donation there. This helps offset the cost bringing you the Triple P every two weeks. There are three different tiers of support starting at just a buck. Our amazing deputy marshals. Special shout out goes to Ryan Smith, Terry Wilkinson, Chris Lovewell, Andy Halas, Ethan Eidmill, Bruce the Model Noob, Steve Baker, Eric DeGleish, Joe Porsche, Graham Pearson, Patrick Brown, Steve Shapers, Jay Kidd, Paul Burdett, 
Brandon Gentry, Robert Klein, Mark Ewing, Ted Kalahara, Josh Orr, John Bryant, Scale Model Hanger, Toadman, Model Doc, Doug Reed, Greg James, Les Porcala, B. Colt 1911, John Everett, Josh Buck, Black Full Model Works, Thomas Bannock, Mark Bradley, Zach Pease, Jewel Munson, Eric Brubaker, Jeremy Moore, DB Scale Model Studio, Matt Johnson, Jeremy Cal, Jeremy El- Jared Cal, Jeremy Elliott, Mike Talley, Previous Seat, Meaty Ochre, Middle-Aged Modeler, Dan Noffel, and J.C. Ottisborn. Thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate your support. And a tip of the hat to our excellent posse foreman. We have Eric, John, Jeremy, Cliff, Rick, Eric, Mike, Alex, Benjamin, Craig, Papa Steve, Logan, Red Beach One, MD Models, The Voice of Bob, JV, Pete, Toby, Matters of Scale, Damian, Kieran, Cody, Papa Mike, Charlie, Tim, Forrest Ghost 73, Nukeman Mike, Greg, JK, MAK Armor, Ash, Irish Pat, Paul, What's the Deal with Eyebones Models, Mr. Grizz, Jackson, Chris, Lee, Jamie, and Steve. Our posse outriders, including our newest outrider, Steve Ankin. Also, we are asking our posse members a favor. Please consider posting a review of the Triple P on the podcast platform you use to listen to our podcast and on Facebook. Each five-star review will help our other modelers find the Plastic Posse. Also, if you haven't already, please join our Plastic Posse group on Facebook. It's a great place for the community to interact, post build pics, and ask questions, or just hang out. Wasn't too good. I'm no Doug Smith. You're Doug tonight. D U G. You're Doug. Doug. You're Doug. And and you're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Bonani. Let's talk cookies. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the most important discussion of the day. I posted right before our before our episode went live. So for our listeners, that's on February 10th. A lot of you contributed already. I'll say it's one of the most active posts on the Plastic Posse. And the simple question is, what's your favorite Girl Scout cookie? Wow. Thin mints. Yeah. Frozen? Frozen. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Frozen so, and a glass of milk. Oh. oh. So question then, have you tried the new ones? It happened. Uh, I think the, the new one came last year. There was a lemon cookie. Oh, it's good. I forget the name of it off the top of my head. I gotta look it I, up. I have not, but I'm not a lemon cookie fan of oh. like any any variety. I like dosy dos as well. Okay. So oh, wait, I, that's the that's the peanut butter one, right? Yes. I think so. Whatever the peanut butter one is, the sandwich cookie, I like that one too. Because I love peanut butter. Yeah, I'm actually not sorry, a girls a Girl Scout cookie fan just uh thin mints are okay you know i've had them and everything but just i've never had them a lot you know but scott I love- it's a charity what the hell man <laughs> I know. Jesus. I know i guess i i guess i just don't know enough enough girl scouts uh or whatever but man i'll tell you um like tj said i love peanut butter man a classic peanut butter cookie 
man, my grandma used to make those and pull them out of the oven hot. You know, she'd take her when she was putting them on the on the tray, she'd take her fork and make the marks in them, you know, just, oh man, is there anything better than a warm right out of the oven peanut butter cookie? Yeah, good point. I was just looking it up, man. They've got one, two, three, four, 13 different cookies now. Yeah, they've expanded. Yeah, they've got they've got the lemonades and the lemon ups. I think the lemon ups are the new ones we just talked about. So yeah, good. But, so oh. good. And they have a raspberry rally, which does I'm sorry, not for me. No, sorry. But um, I am go, go ahead. ahead. No, you were you were talking great. I like the caramel delights, the s'mores ones. Those are the the circled ones, like a yeah. like small donut donuts. Those are good. Those are pretty good. Yeah, I, I am personally a fan of Samoa's. Yeah, the uh, coconut chocolate coconut cookies. Yep. yep. And choice. I'm not a huge coconut person. I agree. Taste consistency. I agree. Sorry, I got a got a quote Tallahassee there. Yeah. Yeah, I I love them. I absolutely love those. So what's really dangerous? Uh, Girl Scouts now now accept uh, plastic. So <laughs> um, you know, you, you we're walking in our neighborhood and you see them posted up at the uh, community coffee shop, and we're like, "Well, I guess we got to buy some." And then seventy five dollars later, they give you a bag once you spend a certain amount, and uh, it's a reusable bag. So we we did our first run this past week. So I, I'm a huge fan. I, I was going to bring up another cookie. They are a national chain here in america i have become to love them crumble mm. oh yeah. yeah don't even get me started on this yeah. <laughs> yeah they you know going back to our peanut butter thing they make uh, i don't remember no. what it's called but they you know they make a, a a peanut butter cookie that's got a molten peanut butter center inside of yeah. it it's just it's like this is ridiculous <laughs> it's so good just freaking evil is what it is. It's, it's dangerous. One is yep. literally two miles from my house, oh. and, I ha- oh, and I have the man. app on my phone, and it's right. It's right next to Panda <laughs> Express as well. So, oh man, it's like double trouble with Beijing beef and orange chicken, and then I head over to Crumble yeah. and pick up a pick up a little four pack. And I tell you what, their their marketing is on point. Their yeah. their their app is great. The the fresh cookies and the warmth when you pick up the box. And then when, you know, you're at work, somebody had a birthday this week and they had a, you know, the, the dozen pack. I'm like, Oh man, there's one, which was, um, it was animal cracker, but the, like the dipped animal crackers and the, yogurt. Oh man, they made it. Oh, oh, I never had that one before. Oh man. I, I about bought a dozen of them right then and there. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. That's why I don't wear skinny jeans because let's just be honest. Crumble. <laughs> Holy well, cow, and man. and they are massive. I mean, one massive. cookie like can feed a whole family. Yeah, yeah. they are when huge. I, when I when I got a new job, my mom bought me a dozen, and uh, you know, Lindsay and I can only eat so many. But uh, we uh, we we fr- I still have a couple in the freezer. Uh, so oh, they're so good, yeah. so good. You know, John, you were mentioning the lemon cookie. You know, they make a a crumble makes a lemon cookie that's just <sighs> unbelievable out of yeah. this world. I, I don't know what it is. I really never liked lemon. Gosh, even like five, six years ago. But my palate has evolved, I guess. And I'm just, I'm a lemon guy. I, I will crush anything lemon. It's weird. There's a local bakery out here, just a local one. But they use those lemon cookies, the, the original lemon cookies from Girl Scouts. And they make mm. their pie crust lemon meringue 
pie. They use oh. the cookies as the pie crust. They crush them up and everything. Oh, oh I mean, that's that's that's, oh, that's I, evil. Oh my I'd, gosh. <laughs> I'd sell my kidneys. I swear to God. <laughs> so I, uh, another cookie I like, maybe, maybe we can have them on the plastic posse table. My in-laws uh, made funfetti cookies for wow. the last time I was over pretty good. So might, might find its way to the commies fest table. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed on the Commies Fest uh, page that they mentioned that we would be coming again, you know, and uh, John and I were talking about it. And I say, yeah, man, we brought Funfetti. Of course they want to know if we're, <laughs> if we're coming again. We brought cupcakes with us. Exactly, man. Exactly. <laughs> I'm excited for this year. They're going to have a barbecue food truck. They even wow. talked about a dessert truck there. But breakfast will be Funfetti. So come yeah. early, leave happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The only model show where you have to unbuckle your belt before you leave. Swear to God. <laughs> are Mark and are Mark and Jamie going to be doing anything there, or do you know? Yeah, I think they are. Um, they I offered some some table space because we have two vendor tables there, and really it's just about promoting. Scott, if you want to sell some stuff, feel free to bring it over. But we'll have Funfetti oh, we'll cupcakes. Yeah. We'll have Tankcraft stuff. You know, if Josh and you want to bring stuff over to sell, and then I also offered table space to Mark and Jamie. Nice. To uh, bring some dry rub, oh, some barbecue here. sauce. Um, their uh, their stuff's really good, and they're nice people, fantastic people. Mark's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's okay. He's all right. Yeah. He's okay, guy. Um, he's all right. Uh, yeah, it should be a great time, and yeah, yeah, cannot wait. I will never forget Jensen's eyes when she gave him that bag of cookies. Oh my last gosh, year, last year that was a yeah. fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost as good as that kid that um won that ship model and when he went up to pick it up the box was bigger than he was <laughs> i'll never forget the look on his face man he was just like oh <laughs> <laughs> and a bear hug that thing back to the table <laughs> that was great <laughs> yeah the commies do a great job it's gonna be a lot of fun maybe brian will win something this year <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Damn. Brian. Sorry, Brian. Jeez. <laughs> Grant going savage mode. I don't know. That just came out of nowhere. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah, it should be a good time. Oh, Scott, anything else? I don't know. Any other cookies? Uh, you know, cowboy cookies. Doug, you, you and uh, Julie seem to have some. Oh, cookies that's that, right. That, that oh, yeah. Guys, uh, Doug's got those really good those cookies. cookies are actually my mom's. I got those from my mom. Those were her recipes. So, I mean, I made them when I brought them. But that recipe was was one I grew up with, both of them. Yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed making both. The the ranger cookies is what we call the one with the cornflakes in them, nice. which always surprises people because they they just don't, cornflakes in a cookie doesn't sound great, but it really works. Oh, they're fantastic. Our, our good friends, Dan and uh, Carrie Nofel, they make some uh, pretty serious cookies as well. You know, they bring them to the show and, and uh, drop some off with us. And oh man, those are good. <laughs> Which which cat you got there, TJ? Oh, I got nothing. Oh. Tyler wasn't here. But... I thought I saw a tail a minute ago. Yeah, he was up here, but he ran off somewhere. Kylo? Yeah. He was <laughs> not doing near the devastation he was doing last Friday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Climbing on your model box. <laughs> looking for Q-tips. 
that and plastic. He likes to chew like clear cellophane. But I've got more than a couple sprues that have bite marks in them. <laughs> He's, oh, I'm going to go ahead and bite this. <laughs> it's mine. Oh, bastard. 